What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, and I am joined by... Adam from BackPatioNetwork.com. And we are gathering here today on this auspicious occasion to finally get around to reviewing a movie that came out way earlier this year that I caught, but Adam didn't, and then we had to wait for it to release in English in the U.S., and it finally happened like a week ago, and now we're here. So, My Hero Academia, second movie, Heroes Rising. That's what we're doing today. A little different. Um, we're not calling this a filler episode, really, I don't think. Um, we're, we're just happy to be talking about, you know, Class 1A and actual motion and not manga for, you know, a little while. We miss we miss that. We miss the anime. And we got a whole heaping dose of it in Heroes Rising. We did. And it sounds like it's going to be a little while before the next season comes out because they projected it to be like spring of 2021, I think. So it was good to get this in while uh, a little earlier than that, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I had caught this in the theater in March. Um, Adam was unable to do so. And so we we finally sat down and have watched it, each of us, a couple of times. And we're excited to talk about this. So we're going to kind of treat it like we would the episodes of the anime. We'll, we'll go through and recap events as they occurred and, and talk and, and theorize and make fun of as we go and uh, have some final thoughts at the end. Uh, so as long as that is suitable to you, Adam, I say we jump right on in because this has the uh, every chance of being slightly longer than our standard episode. Absolutely. Yes. Let's jump on in, man. Uh, <laughs> do you mind if I lead off? Yeah, go for it. So we start the movie off with an awesome chase scene. Uh, the League of Villains are being chased by some pro heroes. And I got to tell you, it cracked me up because I started writing down all these pro hero names and it's like Rocksteady is one of them. And I would always have the subtitles on. And so it popped up with Hero A. And so I was like, okay, Hero A. And they're chasing down this like army cargo vehicle, it looks like, uh, that's being driven by Iguchi is his name, I think. I'm trying to remember. Uh, Spinner. Spinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really liked him a lot in the, uh, the TV series. So I was glad to see like opening up strong with a cool character from the show. Um, and then this is when there's another hero that's like an electric hero. And she popped up as Hero AA. And I realized that these are not the heroes' names, that they're just going to be these like one-time heroes. And I kind of chuckled, like, out of this universe, all of these heroes you've got, you chose two we've never heard of? Okay. Weird, weird flex, but all right, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep going here. <laughs> yeah, so instead of Rocksteady, it was Rocklock, right? Well, um, it was Rocklock. And, it's not Rocksteady. We we're, yeah. we're familiar, at least, with him, but he's riding shotgun with this dude with miniguns for hands. And I spent like 20 minutes on the internet trying to find him in the wikis, and he's nowhere to be found. So I just have in my notes, Rocklock and Who, and it's all this feels like it's out of Fast and the Furious, and it's it's wild and super fun. It looked a little bit more CG than the anime style. Yeah, it did. Does. It really did. Um, but one of my favorite notes early on is that Spinner successfully manages to run the blue car off. There's like four cars full of heroes. Um, all of them look like sedans, so like two captain's chairs in the front and then a bench seat in the back, I would assume. So my note just says, successfully manages to run the blue car off, which explodes, so uh, rip one to five other heroes that we'll never <laughs> meet nor know the names of. So it's just all of these heroes that have no names, I mean, maybe have died in this scene? Like, seriously, yeah. at least six heroes probably died in this first opening scene yeah you're right because like dobby pops out of the top of this cargo van and, and in along with him and uh, mr compress they are just wrecking these heroes i mean it gets to the point where they actually run into the pro heroes like the ones we know anyways endeavors there and a, a handful of others uh, and endeavor starts attacking them with his prominence burn so that was pretty cool 
Uh, and we find out that they're transporting somebody, uh, but we don't really know who or what. It's just some dude in like a, it looks like some sort of big mech system. Um, and, and then, of course, with the prominence burn going on, they all melt. And it turns out they were all just doubles to begin with. So uh, we've got. Yeah. And there's a little bit of conversation taking place inside of the truck because the League of Villains are trying to figure out how it is that the heroes are intercepting them on their escape route. And there's rumors of somebody having to have leaked their escape route. My suspicion is that it was Shigaraki himself. Um, I but agree. I have, okay. Um, I didn't have a ton to go on, but especially given the end of the movie, I felt like that that had to have been the, the case there. Um, we do get to see Endeavor and Dobby clash. And their attacks negate one another until Endeavor does prominence. Like they're, they're, the first little attack that they've chewed off at one another just kind of negate. And then Endeavor does prominence burst. And whatever it is that Dobby attempts to counter that with just gets swallowed up. I mean, Endeavor just goes off on this guy. And I, you know, uh, I, I have got a note here that this makes me feel like there's no way that Dobby is Endeavor's kid, right? Like, I mean, he would have really? recognized him, surely. Yeah, I don't know. I still, I still kind of like that theory myself. So uh, I'm, I'm not ready to to backpedal on that one quite yet. Unless he uh, disfigured his body with the like removing of the skin and whatnot after he left, then I could see maybe him not being noticeable. But I feel like Endeavor would have had to have known that was his kid, especially with the quirk alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he would have picked up on that. So uh, I don't know. I was curious to see if this movie changed your thoughts on that at all. Not really. I I, th- I think that that one's still up in the air. That that's a plausible for me still. I think is what I called it when um when we did the uh, consp- the the theory episode. I think I nailed that one down as plausible. But uh no uh they they the pro heroes that are there, Hawks is among them. They go down to the the now crashed and burning hull of this car, see that it was carrying something. Hawks suspects that it was a Nomu. Um, and then we learn that this person who is uh emerged from this little crate thing. Uh, or stasis tank or whatever it was that his name is nine. And he has these crazy, like he's got silver hair. He has these weird graduated cylinder looking things sticking up out of his back filled with like a purple liquid. And for some reason I have in my notes that we also hear him breathing like Darth Vader in just this scene. He never does it anywhere else in the entire movie. Um, But when he's walking up to Chimera and the others, you can hear his like breathing almost like it was like through uh, a respirator. Yeah, 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 and then you never hear it again. So yeah, I uh, that, that was too. quickly ditched. <laughs> um, Weird. And he talks about this nine guy talks about the success of an experiment uh, before his eyes glow ominously, and uh, we will come to learn a little bit later that the successful experiment was the one that was performed upon him. And while we're here, uh, let's we we talked uh, last episode about casting nine, or at least we talked off episode. I think initially what we said is we weren't going to cast because it was going to be a long ep. Uh, but then we changed our minds because it's something that we do. <laughs> so uh, let's cast nine right here uh, and give everybody maybe a, a mental picture of who it is that that we're talking about, presumably. And hopefully everybody has seen the movie and has that uh, face as a picture. But otherwise, who'd you cast? Uh, so I personally cast Keanu Reeves. Ah, See, I can't do that because... He's my Aizawa. I know, I know. But I really like Keanu Reeves, especially like uh, there's a movie, I think it's named Man of Tai Chi. If you've not seen it, it's an awesome Kung Fu movie. Uh, He is an, I mean, he plays a great role in that movie and I just could see that character specifically being this character. Um, My wife, Hannah, on the other hand, she cast Jared Leto. And after she said it, I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like, it's just perfect. It makes too much sense for me. 
I went with Tom Hiddleston. Ooh, I like Tom Hiddleston. Okay, I can see that too. That one's yeah. a good one. I uh, I think that he would do well. I mean, I mean, you're basically looking for you know very pretty long haired male that can be menacing, and Hiddleston I think hits all those things for me. Uh, so I, I and as soon as you were like, let's cast nine, that's immediately who my mind ran to. Yeah, and uh, I can so see that, that was this is one of the easiest casts uh, for me. I didn't spend any time thinking about it whatsoever. He feels a lot like a Sephiroth character from Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So he actually kind of looks a lot like he, Sephiroth. He does too. look a lot like Sephiroth. Yeah. Um, so after this uh, cold open, we get a very cool, like comic styled uh, intro uh, to the show, and of course, voiceovers about all you know this the the usual my hero spiel about quirks and whatnot. Um, before we leave uh, this darkened cliffside scene. And we find ourselves on a beach with these two guys hitting on hotties on an island uh, named Nabu Island. Has a population of a thousand people on it and has had no crimes on it uh, besides minor things for the past 30 years. Yeah, and it's awesome because they open up with Mineta saving these babes from a couple of pervs. Uh, there are these like two guys hitting on these chicks on the beach and, you know, they won't leave them alone. And then they start to walk after them after the, the girls walk off and they're stuck to Mineta's balls. Yes. <laughs> it's never not funny when we say things like that. I know. But the great thing is, is that he doesn't even get the credit for it. Like the two women think that it's Ojiro that saved him and they're like, you know, kind of going over and talking to him. And we get this great montage of like all of the little students that we know working as heroes on this island. It's, it's really neat. Uh, like Shoji, Sue, and Sato are all playing lifeguards on the beach, which is pretty cool. Um, it was really funny, too, because Sato actually terrifies a kid. Like, he dives in after him, if I remember correctly. So that was kind of funny. Uh, and then Saro and Tokiomi are roping off, like, off-limited areas around where the rocks are super jagged and whatnot. So it's little things. But we get to see these heroes in action. And it's it's really rewarding for the the audience, I think. It's, it's a great intro after having not seen them for, like, seven months on TV. Definitely. I had uh, some extra notes, too, that Shoji makes for an excellent lifeguard because he has all those eyes. Yeah. And also his arms just in their regular form are like giant fins. So oh, super excellent lifeguard choice. Really quickly. Yeah. Either that or he's like a bird in water. Like I had a I couldn't decide, but they're very fin like. Um, but, you know, birds, they don't they don't do so well in water. And maybe his we've seen him like in the intro. Haven't we seen him like gliding around in the background as if they were wings anyway um i'm talking about the the anime intro um we also have a funny scene to me where uh todoroki helps a shaved ice stand by donating <laughs> yeah. some ice but the guy is just like hey do you mind giving me a little bit of ice and shoto gives him a freaking iceberg right. like this massive <laughs> chunk of ice he like freezes the entrance into the store i like i feel like i remember it being very close to like his little tent or store and being like well that's yeah. inconvenient probably and he put it in the dirt so yeah. like who you know there at least a portion of that is completely unusable and i also made a note that the guy said can we have can you make me more ice and so i wonder how long it had me wondering very early on how long they'd been here they make it seem like this is their first day on the job but then there are some other things throughout this movie that I was like, "Why well, does that make sense given some of the things that have gone on? Well, and I feel um, like I had a note. Momo should have been all over Shoto for doing that because she's real big on like protecting the economy of things. And if he's just creating eyes oh, for yeah. free, then I mean, snow cone economy is insane right there. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But they're, they're, so the kids are here um, as 
they're they're there kind of serving as a, a little pseudo hero agency. I mean, it's a real hero agency. All these guys have their provisional licenses now. There's no adults, um, no pro heroes supervising any of this. They basically have taken Class 1A, relocated them to this island that they thought would be completely uneventful and let them stretch their uh, provisional licenses out and put uh, put them to, to some good use. So Mina is manning the phones and she's it looks like have like this Excel sheet open where she's keeping track of who's what's wins and where's she sends Kaminari to help recharge a battery for this guy um, who's apparently called and asked for this service more than once. And that's a, that's again, that's another thing where it's like, if the, if this is their first day on the job, has Kaminari been out to this farmer's house like multiple times today, or has this taken place over the course of many days? That because he complains, ah, oh, that guy. When's he going to buy another battery? Yeah, you know? as if he's done it multiple times over multiple days. Yeah. But to be honest with you, I feel like the biggest like issue that I run into with this movie right off the bat is the idea that there's an island with no pro heroes. Like you're telling me there's no pro hero capitalizing on a thousand person island where they could be like the number one hero and make stupid money off merchandising <laughs> in an agency. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it just well, seems so do, unlikely. We do hear from the kids that we're going to meet here shortly that there was somebody who was there previously. They called them just like old man or old geezer or something. Um, we don't know anything about who that person was. Uh, I assume that maybe uh, Nabu Island is like your the, the place you go right before you retire. You know, you coast for <laughs> yeah. a year or two on the beach and you have almost nothing to do. And then you're like, OK, I'm done being, you know, being a hero now. Um, but yeah, it, it's they, there was somebody there for a time. I don't know if they were stationed there or if it was the local hero that just aged out. You sure, know? Um, sure. But uh, yeah, it, a really cool uh, note for Kaminari here is he acts kind of bummed, you know, um, when he's initially going out uh, to to charge this battery until the rest of Class 1A starts cheering him on and they call him by his hero name, Charge Bolt. And then he gets all peppy again, um, which is cool. You get we get to see Coda who speaks like he has more lines probably, in this movie than he has in the entirety of like yes. four seasons of My Hero. <laughs> Absolutely. I just have in my notes in all caps, Coda speaks. And then my next thing is he found a lost dog. And apparently this is an island full of irresponsible pet owners because the next thing that he's told to do is go find a lost parrot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so out of a thousand people, at least two of them have lost animals already. Well, and we also have a scene, is it here or is it later, where Manetta is asked to go do something, and, and at first he's kind of like, oh, I don't really want to do that, like, tell them to do it themselves, and then Ashido is like, oh, well, it sounded like a pretty cute girl, and he's like, all right, I'm in, baby. <laughs> I think I think that's later, is but it, it, it could have been here, and I might not have taken that note. I do know that uh, Ida goes to help somebody who's apparently thrown out her back, Yeah, and when we actually see that scene... Like, if you pause it and look at it, he is totally cupping butt uh, of this old lady. <laughs> I did not like, notice when that. you give somebody a piggyback ride like Ida is, normally you would have like the backs of their knees and the crooks of your elbows, you know? Sure. But not, that's not how Ida does, apparently. He's got his arms behind him, like kind of over, like at the small of his back where she's sitting on them and he's got hands full of saggy lady butt. That's why um, she keeps calling back. Um, that's what, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I think is happening, actually. Um, Granny's, Granny's getting her kicks from, uh, from Ida, um, in his, his, uh, piggyback rides. But, um, anyway, Ochako, Jiro, and Midoriya go out, uh, because there's a, a call for a missing kid. Uh, and it's pretty cool how they, uh, mobilize because, uh, Midoriya kicks in full cowling 8%, like it's no big thing. Uh, and then he puts on a life preserver. 
right uh, around his waist and Ochako floats her and Jiro and then he starts running and it's super cool. It was really cool. Uh, I wonder how long they sat there before they came up with that. You know what I mean? Like if they were sitting around and they were just like, I wonder what we could do to get around quicker. Yeah. Then we switch scenes. Uh, there is a little bit of a discussion. We're getting a little bit of the background of how class one, a came to be on, uh, Nabu Island. Yeah. We get the uh, guy that actually ran the provisioning exam. Uh, he mm-hmm. is talking to the school's kind of head figures, I guess you could say about basically lending the students to the Island because there aren't any pro heroes readily available. And it's basically hero work recommendation. I think they, they call it the hero rec the hero work recommendation project. Uh, They're trying to get these students trained up to become real heroes. I mean, they've talked in the show before about how there's a serious lack of pro heroes and with all might being gone, they need to get the kids trained up faster. So this is like a real life experiment. Think of it as a summer vacation to train them. Basically a hero summer work camp. That's right. And um, they, they kind of finished that conversation with the, the provisional exam proctor. I'm sure he has a name and a title, but I don't, I don't I remember it. it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he says to all might and to Nezu, uh, and maybe as was there too. Now I can't recall, but he says, I'm sure you have questions and concerns, but whatever they are, I hope you cooperate, which is bureaucratic BS for, Oh, you're, you're doing this. Like this right. isn't an option. <laughs> right. Um, so it, my favorite part about this is, of course, Aizawa, as the, the homeroom teacher of Class 1A, is the one who is explaining this to the kids, and they all get super excited. They're like, yes, you know, they're all jumping and doing the anime freeze frame thing. And uh, my question is, whose quirk does Aizawa erase when he goes Super Saiyan in scenes like this? That's what I was wondering, too, because they, he acts as if he is freezing all of their quirks. You know, like the way they draw it is as if they're all being affected, but we know that's not possible. So I don't know, uh, but he, he has to be focusing on somebody. Yeah, or he can just make his hair do that for funsies. That uh. One of those two things is true, but I was it was always my understanding that when he actually engaged his quirk and suppressed the quirk of somebody else, that's when his hair stood up on end. That's and my he understanding, does that. too. And his eyes light up and everything, too. So Yeah, and he's done this a bunch in the show, and I don't know why I've never asked the question, like, whose quirk? Maybe he's just exerting himself on somebody in class 1A that has, like, a... Like a physical quirk. Like a Shido, um, maybe? Yeah, or maybe like Shoji. Um, it could and, be. And just because it wouldn't really affect him, I wouldn't guess. Yeah, because it would feel out of character for Aizawa to just cancel someone's quirk because. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good question. See, I had another question in my notes, because in this scene, we get a flashback to Deku crying in front of the computer screen with All Might in the background. Mm-hmm. And my question is, do you think that they redraw that scene every time, or do they just go pull it from a file somewhere? You know, Lord, like... I hope they aren't redrawing that <laughs> over and over again. What if that was that's some dude's entire job is, hey, you know that scene like he's that really uh, Deku is a kid and he's crying <laughs> watching that YouTube bit? Like, that's what you get to draw any time and every time we ask you to do it. They call him up like once every three months, and he's like, again? <laughs> yeah, and they're like, yeah, buddy, from scratch. From and and scratch. when they when they get his his cells in, they just burn them. Like after they use them, <laughs> I don't know. They, I like to imagine the perspective that he is the one that, or she is the one that's figured out. Like they've not copyrighted that yet, so you know they have to get paid for it every single time. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, they're the smart ones in the situation. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we 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 cut out of that and we go back to montage time, which is so much fun. This one of the things that I really like about this movie um, is that it makes not everybody in Class One A, but almost everybody in Class One A is made like relevant and has something cool to do, and they're showcased really well. Yeah, they get to show off their powers a lot in this movie. 
Yeah, and so one of my favorite things about um, the one of the newer Dragon Ball Z movies, uh, Resurrection F, was that the, all of the Z fighters were made relevant and cool again, yes. and they got dirty. You know, they got their hands right. dirty. Right, like it was really cool getting to see all of our old fun heroes come back to life and be relevant. They weren't just fighting yeah. gods. Yeah, and then, and the, you know, th- of course you don't have like Krillin squaring off against Beerus. Now, to be fair, Krillin absolutely would have if he felt the that he needed to, sure. because that's what Krillin does. Right. Um, but the coolest thing about that movie in particular, and what I think sets it apart as a better movie than Battle of Gods is, or, or then, um, yeah, than Battle of Gods is just that idea that these, these other characters are put to work and you get to see everybody doing something, not just the main one or two. And this movie does the same thing um, with uh, the characters of class one. A. I I totally of agree. course, some are always going to get highlighted in a more significant way than others. I mean, the the class is designed that way to an arguable degree. Um, But these montages are super cool. So they start with like Tokoyami's flying recon over the beach, and he's talking through a walkie-talkie to Ojiro, who's down on the ground as they're, uh, they continue looking for this missing child. Aoyama and Mina are clearing a rock slide uh, from uh, a highway, Ida is given that piggyback ride and getting handfuls of saggy, uh, saggy bottom while he's at it. Uh, Kirishima is helping load fish, and Kaminari is jump-starting that tractor. Momo is fixing a scooter at a home with a supremely poorly drawn dog. Did anybody else catch that? <laughs> I, I did not catch that. <laughs> Go back and watch that scene. That dog is not drawn well. That's funny. <laughs> it is drawn very poorly. I was like, what is going on? Um. But then we we finally catch back up. The montage happens very quickly, and there's there's very happy music playing behind it. And uh, then we catch up to Midoriya, Jiro, and Ochako as they stumble upon the quote unquote missing children. Yeah, and it, we, it's funny because they stumble across Katsuma, who is the younger child. It's a little boy, and they find him. and And Deku is really sweet to him. I mean, it's 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 Midoriya. He's going to be this nice guy to, to anybody but he's especially nice to this little kid that's lost and out of nowhere comes the little kid's older sister who's named maharu and she absolutely freaks out on deku and is just immediately like you didn't find him quick enough you're no real hero like who do you think you are like is this all class 1a of, of you know uh <laughs> ua has like is this the best they've got to offer and she kind of runs off with katsuma and is explaining to him that like she's going to show him that these heroes are nobodies. And I think Midoriya is immediately like, what in the world? <laughs> like, yeah. so taken aback. Yeah, so she she timed him, actually, and it took him 62 minutes and 15 seconds to find uh, Katsuma. And uh, Maharo is having none of that, and she chides uh, Deku. But Ma- uh, Katsuma, rather, still thanks uh, Deku for for saving him, and you get a very real sense that he has uh, an uh, admiration for heroes, and Mahiro has something against them, and and that's established right here in this first scene um, with with those two children, and it's going to hold up for a fairly sizable portion of the movie and make some sense with some explanation, but uh, first impressions, that's definitely uh, what you get from uh, the the 
two children. Absolutely. We cut over to All Might and Aizawa. All Might's obviously worried about the students. He's kind of freaking out about having them over there with no pro heroes, no teachers, no adults. I mean, you know, he's he's worried that something could happen to these kids. And I think he's rightfully worried too. Every single time they have done anything that they should be <laughs> yep. like, you know, doing, they get messed up by villains. Like, why would this be any different? You know, like th- there are so many things in this movie I feel like you just kind of have to ignore to to really feel like it makes sense. But this is one of those things because Aizawa was just like, ah, eh, they're fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Aizawa's whole argument is that it's not about them going out and battling villains at this place because there really are none. This is where I think the line about no, like no villains in bigger than minor years. crime for 30 years. Yeah. Um, but he says small stuff matters, like getting to know the people they're supposed to protect. And I just have in my notes that that doesn't scale particularly well. Like, I mean, how are they going to get to know everybody in, you know, uh, the the larger cities that they're going to be deployed to and work on teams in? And, right. Uh, but there is a counterpoint to my initial reaction to this, and that's Hawks. Because you remember the scene when him and Endeavor were walking around and Hawks was very well known and liked by the people in his uh, his little burrow that he was protecting. Well, true, but he's also the number one hero. I mean, he's the new All Might, so it makes sense that he would be as popular as All Might was. Not Endeavor, Hawks. Well, I thought Hawks was the number one hero. Or was he the number two hero? No, Hawks, no, he's not number one. Endeavor's number one. Okay, but for Hawks, some reason I thought Hawks even, was number two. Or number no, one. Hawks doesn't care anything about the rating system at all. No, you're but right. his he just has a supremely charismatic rapport with the people that he's protecting. See, and so even I thought he was number one. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's number two. Yeah, there you go. He's number two, but it's just he's very personable. I mean, she's walking around on the streets and he's engaging with these people that know who he is and that he knows. Right. Um, and it's very cool. Cause you remember that's the scene where Endeavor tries to be like Hawks and ends up frightening somebody <laughs> like scaring and getting people yelled off. at. Well, yeah, and- he gets yelled at for being not Endeavor. Right. They're like, hey, you're not anything like him. Uh, well, the funny thing about this, though, is that Aizawa tells All Might that it's not always about flashy saves. And I mean, we know that All Might's kind of big into the huge saves The you know, the obviously the YouTube video that Deku watches all the time. And then the more recent fight with uh, All for One. But I mean, we also know for a fact that All Might goes around doing random basic hero stuff all yeah. the time. Like it's in yep. Vigilantes all the time where he's just ducking out of lunch to go save like a dog or like a whatever, a cat out of a tree. So I don't know that he's preaching to the right person here about, about the flashy saves thing because we also know these kids have done nothing but be part of flashy saves. So yeah. I don't know. Well, you get to, they get to participate in both here. I mean, they're doing some extremely mundane stuff until Nine and Chimera and Mummy and uh, the... What's, what's that lady's name again? Uh, uh, I keep wanting to call Cutter? her Cleopatra. Uh, Slice? I think huh? it's Slice. Slice. Yeah, Slice, I that's it. Cutter, I keep wanting to call her Medusa, not Cleopatra. She does have a Medusa look to her. Honestly, it just kind of felt like uh, Midnight's pissed off cousin or something. You know, that <laughs> yeah. was the whole only thing I could think the whole time was like, all right, well, Midnight's on a bender and she's just, you know, <laughs> having a bad like- weekend. If uh, if midnight were lunch, uh, launch from uh, Dragon Ball, yes. and just sneezed, just sneezed. and it turned into Slice, yep. but uh, Slice does very much look like the Marvel character Medusa. She I think does. she's a uh, Inhuman. I think yes. um, red red long hair and everything. Yep. So I I couldn't shake that. Name and I think for it's a, a similar quirk too, where like her powers yeah. is like she can harden her, her hair. hair. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyways, yeah. back to the movie. So, you know, the students <laughs> are helping out on this montage and they, they, at the end of the day, they're all kind of finishing back up at the, uh, the resort, I guess that you could call it, the hero agency that they're staying in. Yeah, their agency. Uh, and the islanders show up, and they've prepared this really nice meal for the students. It was really nice of them. Like they, they really appreciate these these kids stepping in and becoming heroes for them. So they throw this huge kind of like get together, this big party. The students are all loving it. Uh, and then I think it's Kaminari and Kirishima are kind of like heading to bed, and they pass Bakugo, and they're like, "All right, Bakugo, it's night watch. It's your turn, man." And he's like, what yeah. do you mean? What? Like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, well, you, you sat around the office all day long. Like, you got to do something. Uh, so he gets he gets ready to go out on his nightly watch. Uh, we get a quick Deku training montage. And this is when Bakugo actually comes across Deku training. And we get a fun scene here. Yeah, he was out counting. He was at 1,360 kicks. Yeah, um, just... I think it was from one of Ida's books. Didn't Ida hook him up with the uh, books about kicks? Yes, yeah. Didn't Ida draw that yep, up? It was Ida, like, training manual and how he does his, like, flippy kicks. Yeah, I um, I had a quick couple of notes, too, about that scene um, with the with the Islanders showing up and giving him a, uh, uh, this banquet. Because my, my note just says that they, they brought a little something in quotation marks that's more like enough food to choke Goku. Yeah. Um, because it's this massive, massive spread. Uh, and Kaminari makes a, a line at the beginning of this where he says, we've gone plus ultra beyond what is allowed by the Labor Standards Act. And that made me laugh too. <laughs> um, but yeah, Deku's out training um, and uh, Bakugo walks up on him and they start talking about uh, the quirk, of course, one for all. And... I rewatched this a bunch of different times and kept pausing and double checking because we get a look at the first seven inheritors of one for all uh-huh. and kind of this weird silhouette thing. So th- the first two are very vague outlines. The third one is kind of like looks like the Phoenix Force from Marvel Comics. Uh, then you have the last five are very clear in very clear detail, but that's nine. And Deku is the ninth and All Might isn't there. So the count was off. And they do this every time they show the previous inheritors of One for All. Well, like the number just keeps changing. It's super weird. Haven't they kind of made reference though in the shows that All Might's not quite there yet? Because he, I feel like there's a scene between him and a recovery girl where, a recovery lady, where she says something like, oh, so he's seeing them now too and you're not there yet. and Or something along the lines of that. Like it's known that All Might should eventually show up in this long list of people. But there, but th- what I'm saying is there are eight silhouettes there. All Might's not one of them. Right. So that would make All Might the ninth one, but it, Deku is the oh, ninth Oh, okay. One. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're just talking like the semantics. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's That's another one of those things I feel like you just kind of have to ignore about the movie. And th- I feel like one of those with the quirk looks like Shigaraki too. So there's like a kid yeah. that looks just like child Shigaraki. A shaggy haired guy. Yeah. That's what I have listed. And and apparently he was, he was behind Nana Shimura. So I, maybe he was the one that Nana got it from. I mean, it would have anyway, to be, I would imagine. I'm going to have every time that they show these silhouettes, the numbers weird. And it happens like two other times in this movie. So I don't know why they did that. Um, but I mean, I swear I watched this thing like six or seven times, frame by frame, trying to figure out the numbers, and they they don't they just don't check out in this scene. I, it's just it's wrong. I don't like the whole like weird inheritance thing, anyways. Like in general, it's becoming more of a just like messed up mystery that I don't feel like. Oh yeah, they've not really done much with it, other than like in this movie, which won't really affect the show because I don't think this movie's canon, and even if it is. 
the way they've written the movie, none of this really matters in the show, I don't think. Yeah. We got to talk for that at, at the oh, end. Oh, yeah. Because you're bringing me down. No, no, no. You're I know. Me down. I know. But, but, but just talking <laughs> about these in, like people that this power has been inherited through, like even in the show, it's not consistent. And it hasn't been yeah. brought up in forever. So I don't know. Yeah. There's just, just kind of part of me that feels like that's something they're keeping in the back of their pockets for like a big gotcha later on or something. Yeah, or, like they're going to use they it just... when it's really convenient and it makes sense after. You know, people like us and people like on Reddit and other forums have probably theorized about it for years and years. It feels like a like a Game of Thrones, like who is a so and so kind of deal. Like there yep. are going to be all these theories, and then it probably won't live up to any kind of an expectation. It'll be really something like uh, they just passed it back and forth. Yeah, they definitely do some weird meddling with one for all in this movie, but um, I want to cover that when it when it comes sure. up in a little bit more detail. Um, but it is kind of nice here because Bakugo does give. Deku some credit because he says it looks like you're getting better for one for all and then they have that same old rivalry speech where they do the equivalent of I love you no I love you more except it's only I'm going to be the greatest hero no I'm going to be the greatest hero yeah um and then it, they're interrupted because Katsuma comes in and he yells that there's a villain but we don't get right to that uh because we zoom back over to the mainland and get a little bit of uh more background information on what's been going on over there since Nine's escape. Right. We find out that there have been assaults on heroes over the past week. And, and this is Hawks talking to like an FBI investigator, I think. Uh, and it, each of the victims were knocked unconscious and they have lost their powers since. Uh, obviously, at this point in time, they're aware that the League of Villains have some sort of court killing bullet, but they're, they're not really sure if it's been mass produced yet. Uh, and this is when Hawks is kind of like, well, what if someone is stealing powers? Like, what if we're dealing with someone like all for one, where they can take people's powers. And that really seems to freak out these investigators. Uh, they don't like the idea of that at all. They, they can even almost kind of shut it down. Like, we don't think that there's really any proof of that. Uh, so he kind of sections off and is like, well, I'm going to go see what I can dig up on both sides of this and find out what we can figure out. Um, and, and then we cut over to a scene with the League of Villains where they're all discussing amongst themselves that they had no idea what they were moving. And they're kind of pissed that they don't know what they were moving. I mean, they're, they're like, what, we were good enough to move it, but not good enough to know what it is? And Shigaraki's just like, forget about it. It's not a big deal. It's over. It's done with. Move on. And he walks out of the room, like just completely abandoning these people. And, and he sees this or has this flashback of the conversation with the doctor that you and I have talked about before from the show. And the doc Dr. Robotnik. Yeah, basically. And he's telling Shigaraki, you know, pretty much like, hey, ignore it. Leave it alone. You don't need to know anything more about this. You know as much as you're going to know. And he puts yep. on one of his hands and walks off all emo-like, which the hands still bother me because there's nothing for them to grip onto. And I don't like, I need there to be a latch there or something, <laughs> you know? Like he needs to loop like the ring and the index finger around his ears, yeah. like glasses arms. Well, it frustrates me because in this movie in particularly, they, he puts on the hand and it makes a clicking noise as if it like, as if each finger clicks over like a, some sort of knob or something that would keep it in place. But there's there's nothing there so and it, we still have no idea what the hands are for i don't know that's another thing that i'm like what are they doing with yeah. this it is pretty strange i also had a note that the, the hand that he put on his face looked abnormally large in this scene. it did like it was hulk hand that he put on his face and i've never gotten that since a scale before um so anyway, uh, we, we are still on the mainland because we catch up with the kids' dad um, who is in Kyoshu on business, and he's... I thought he was on a phone call, like I a did FaceTime too. with these kids. But it's um, like a recorded video? 
I, I, it must be because my notes say phone call gets interrupted by Bergamo of universe nine, um, who rams his car into pieces. And then my next note is like, imagine being on a video call with your dad when the car wreck happens. And then I was like, maybe they weren't on a call because the kids don't act like they know any of that has gone on. And then, um, slice is able to, uh, open the video and press play again. So I assume it was pre-recorded, but I thought that it was like he was interacting with it. It was very strange. It was. I think it was a video voicemail that he was watching while he was driving and like reacting to. I could see that. Yeah. Because at first that's I thought the strange. same thing. Like, okay, this is a FaceTime call that they're interacting on and and that's horrific because their dad just got murdered like in front of them. And then not only yeah, that, right. but like the person that murdered their father picked up the phone and looked into it. So the kids know yeah, what's yeah. going on, you know, but no, they don't seem to really have any clue that that happens. So you're right. I, I think it's a video. Well, Bergamo is actually this creature called Chimera. Oh, we will yes. learn later. He's so cool. Um, he is cool. Nine is there plus Medusa slash slice uh, and a guy who looks like Kabuto from Naruto cosplaying as a mummy. Yes. Uh, a mummy. Totally. Um, he's got like glasses and the little p- ponytail thing but he's just all bandaged up and stuff and nine says that he finally found it and when he looks at the kid's dad he's like glowing which i i think that means that he can see quirks i had i struggled with this so he t- he takes his quirk he says i'm going to take your quirk and then he starts raining lightning down everywhere and he desolates this city in seconds all on the assumption that this newly acquired quirk is a cell regeneration quirk that works on type b blood um and he's in the middle of having this conversation about how he is in the talks of building a new world while he's destroying the one around him, which felt really ironic. Um, but then he has like these weird, almost like flashes of pain and they're like color swaps on him and purple lines return to his face, like creep across them. Uh, and he whispers that this quirk doesn't work on type B blood so he can see quirks, but he can't see their specifics. And so he sees their category. Is that how that works? I just have a note that he has a scanning power that seems to tell him random bits of information for story. So, <laughs> okay. I mean, like, I, I'll buy that. Because uh, later on, he scans Deku and, and just lifts off like a whole bunch of random information. So I don't know how much of this is like inference, maybe. And I, I really, this is another pain point for me because immediately after figuring out that this guy's quirk doesn't work on type B blood. He's <laughs> so before I say this, I have to say that while this irks me, it also makes me feel like this movie could have been written by me because they're immediately like, well, let's go get his kids. Yeah. <laughs> so the kids are their next yeah. chance because at first he's like, oh man, we're, he's like, we're screwed. Uh, we're, we're out of luck. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they totally freak out him and his little group are all just like, what are we going to do? Like you wasted your time being experimented on. And he's like, no, We can get the kids. So here's another sticking point for me with Nine. Nine can't realize his dream that is very Darwinian and Machiavellian, where uh, might equals right, where only the strong will survive, right? According to his own metric, he shouldn't survive in that society. Well, because he doesn't have all the power, and it's about the people that have all the power. So, I mean, no, I get it. Like, I... Nine is this two sides of the same coin for me where like he's this really badass villain that exists for no reason at all. You know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? Like nothing. I mean, there, I, there are, I do think there's some reason to him for sure. Well, um, I just don't think, obviously I don't think it's 
the reason that he thinks it is. Sure, but I guess, I mean, what I'm really getting at, though, is, like, he is a really cool villain for the purpose of this movie, and that's about it. Like, he doesn't... This kind of villain just doesn't last. It doesn't make sense. He he has no backstory in this movie at all, really, except for, like, one or two things, along with his, his group, like... There's just I'm going to I'm going to end up hard disagreeing with you at the end of this movie. Okay. If if your you doesn't evolve as as we progress through the narrative. Cuz I have I have a very very specific opinion on why 9 actually does work and why this movie is going to be canonical. Okay, that's um, interesting cuz I felt the opposite way. So I'm interested in hearing that. Let's let's keep talking about yeah, this though. Yeah. I do think he has some sort of scanning quirk that allows him to understand abilities, but I don't think he expected this particular quirk to not work on his blood type. Although I thought it was a nice callback to Hero Killer Stain. I mean, we know that quirks can sometimes yep. rely on certain weird genetics. I mean, we've talked about it before. Quirks in this world are explained by science, which I think are, it's just so cool. It's such a neat thing. It's not, it's not magic more often than not. You know, it's, it's literally science. There's something happening there that makes sense. Uh, so, He's going to go after the kids. He's going to try and go find one of the kids to uh, suck up their quirk and take over the world. Uh, because, and the weird thing is, is he continues to call it like cell regeneration. So he is, a, I yeah. think you're right. It has to be displaying as like a category or something. Uh, but up to this point, we actually don't know either of the children's quirks. Correct. We, we can make assumptions based on the dads, but we don't know specifically what they are. Right. But we do find out. Um, what Maha Rose is in the very next scene because uh, the Deku and Midoriya are running towards the villain and they bring the child with them for some dumb well, reason. Well, needs to know where the villain's at. He's like <laughs> all he had, flying. All he had them. to do is say it's over by the castle, but they're dragging him around. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Bakugo is. It's crazy. I mean, like when I yeah. saw the scene, I was like, what are you? It didn't feel like something Bakugo would do. Oh, I think Bakugo would 100% do it, but I, I it, like just grab that kid and be like, tell me where he is, but he's blasting off in no direction in particular, instead of just being like, tell me where it is, and then going himself, instead well, of dragging a kid with him into potential danger. The reason I say I don't think he'd do, he would do it is because he just failed the provisional exam because of that exact thing. Like, it would make more sense uh, that he would have learned his lesson and be like, where is it at, instead of dragging this kid into danger. And not only is he dragging yeah. this kid into danger, but he's like... Holding him by blasting his neck and blasting them. through the air. Yeah. yeah, like, no way this little four-year-old kid doesn't have a sprained neck after this trip with Bakugo. It's definitely endangerment at minimum. Yeah. Um, but th- they finally get to this area on the island that they refer to as, like, the castle or the keep. Um, and the villain is a giant mantis. And I just have in my notes, Kamayan. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a giant version <laughs> of Kamayan. That would be um, great. And Bakugo doesn't weigh at all. I think he basically dumps the kid with Deku and runs up and uh, jumps up into this thing's face and tries a stun grenade, but it doesn't do anything. The mantis doesn't shield its eyes. It doesn't blink. Nothing. Um, and because Bakugo ain't no dummy, he figures out that it's a hologram because it also does not cast a shadow in the light that he uh, that he emits. So he gets pretty intense. Um, he blasts the ground and uh, scares uh, Maharo out, and then uh, like he goes into scary Bakugo mode, like he did at the uh, during the uh, the cavalry battle. You remember that oh, one yeah. scene where he just went like crazy intense for some Absolutely. reason? Absolutely, yeah. He like freaks out on her, like for taunting heroes and trying to trick them. I mean, he's coming down on her hard. Yeah, and then so <laughs> eventually he cools down and they go off. But he's she's like, man, he. He'll only be the number one hero if they're ranking them on how big of jerk they can be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but of course, 
uh, Mahiro, or excuse me, um, Katsuma is like, he says the same thing he did earlier, but he came to save us. And he says the same thing about Midoriya. And they have this very quick interchange or exchange rather where Mahiro asks him, so you really want to be a hero that badly? Um, but she cautions him that it's just too dangerous. Um, and again, we, we start to get a little bit of a sense of her motive for her, her hate, or at least her distrust or dislike of heroes. Cause she doesn't want her brother to be put on a path where she per- will perceive him being in danger. In fact, that's part of the reason why, uh, they pulled this little stunt in the first place. Yeah. They were trying to, she was trying to prove to Katsuma that the heroes wouldn't show up, that they were too scared. Uh, yeah. This was around the time that I realized the voice actor for Katsuma was the same voice actor from uh, the TV show uh, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, Katsuma oh. is voiced by the little brother in Full Metal Alchemist as well. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, it was just like immediate. For some reason, I, I had a note in this scene like, oh, that's so-and-so, you know. Um, yeah. But anyways, so after this, we, we see uh, Hawk is actually showing up at that villain scene uh, where they the father was attacked, and he's trying to kind of get some, some notes going on, like what's happening to these people, you know. And Shigaraki's in the background, too. He's like up on a building yeah. making sure that whatever nine is doing, he's doing right, I guess. Like he's trying to track nine down and figure out what's going on, I think. He wants to know more about what he wasn't let in on. Uh, so we, we know that there's some nefarious stuff happening there. Uh, this is the scene where Ashido gets the phone call about that lost suitcase and Mineta just says, find your own stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then That's you it. know she's like, well, I don't know. The lady sounded pretty cute. Mineta's like, oh boy, let's go. Uh, and we also get a scene here where Deku runs into Katsuma uh, after he's like getting prepped to go on his, I guess, probably daily patrol. Yeah, no, no, he's because this comes up. He he's not going out on patrol. He's going out to help somebody with their fields, which I assume to be plowing, like plowing fields. Oh. And this only becomes significant because in the time that it takes for them, for for uh, Katsuma to catch back up with Mahiro, apparently Midoriya has done run over there and done all of the help with the fields. Like well, it's a very short period of time. If he is able to cut down stuff with his air attacks. I can see that. Like he could flick the fields yeah. pretty quick. That's true, um, but it it just struck me as how quickly he because in like the very next scene, basically he's back and he's just like, "All right, I'm done with the fields," and I was like, "Good lord, what did you do? Ins- like inspect them? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just made sure uh, they're still there." It, that, yeah, it just didn't seem like he there was a lot of room for work in there. Um, but Katsuma comes up and he apologizes to uh, Deku. Bakugo is kind of like overhearing this, I think, as he's eating some ice cream on a stick, um, and. He explains that his sister hates heroes um, and explains why they did that uh, fake villain thing earlier. And Midoriya starts to bond with him because he's wearing an edge shot pin. um, Katsuma is. And so he has this exchange. um, So you want to be a hero too. And Mahiro says, not with my quirk. Um, And we still don't get a full explanation of what his is there. Deku instead says, well, if you could have any kind of quirk, what kind of quirk would you have or would you want? And uh. Katsuma answers like any young boy I think would. He wants to be super strong so he can beat up all the bad guys. Um, And Deku sets himself kind of in opposition to him uh, by uh, only only philosophically by saying, I just want to keep people safe. And Deku has one of those super strong beat him up quirks. Um, But him and Bakugo, again, are kind of this uh, two sides of the same coin where, and this comes up later on in the movie as well, where one is I want to save everybody, and the other one's I want to beat everybody up. Yeah. Um, and together that makes a really good duo. But maybe on their own, um, is each is um, insufficient in their own way. And so he says, defeating an enemy is one way, 
and you know me and Bakugo, we both want to be the best hero that we can be. So let's let's give it our all. Um, and he explains that his his uh, the the ki- or one of the ladies in the village explains that they've the two kids had lost their mother. Dad's always away on work, and so he's alone a lot. And uh, he catches Maharo. Ke- Katsuma catches back up with Mahiro um, and says that he wants to be as cool as as his dad is, but he also wants to be. And he starts to, you know, come out basically to his sister that he also wants to be a hero, but they get interrupted because an ocean liner slams into the shore of Nabu Island. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty intense scene because it wrecks right through. It doesn't stop. And we find out that uh, Chimera and Mummy are basically well it's not just them it's chimera mummy nine and slice they're all part of this they've basically wrecked right into the island uh and they've already divvied up like hey chimera mummy you guys are going to be on diversions slice you're going to be wrecking harbor and boats and i'm going to go after the kids and they get off the boat and they just go after uh but before we get to that i'm just curious do we did you pick up on did any like reference be given to what their dad does I mean, with his kind of quirk, I don't know what he does for work, but he's with him being gone all the time, he's got to be some sort of relatively important person. It just seems weird that, like, Katsuma talks about him as if, you know, like, oh, I want to be just like Dad, like, doing whatever Dad does. But do we have any idea what he does? I didn't pick up okay. on it if they did say anything about it. Well, and I'm just it, wondering so. with his quirk, if he's doing, like, some sort of cell regeneration studies or some, like some sort of really big, you know, scientific discovery, uh, the way that everyone yeah. kind of talked about him, but... I wasn't sure if you knew something I did. Mm-mm. So um, Slice sets to work blowing up all these boats and uh, Deku returns to the agency. Bakugo fields a phone call again from Katsuma, who says there are villains or maybe from Maharo, I think it's Maharo, one of the two kids. Yeah. Um, and she's like, hey, there's villains in the harbors. And so he basically treats it like the boy who cried wolf. Um, but then Chimera disables the comms on the island. Um, so everything goes down. Uh, all phone capabilities on the island are disabled and so deku rushes off by himself to check into the claim uh rushing on down to to the harbor uh but before we catch up with deku we catch up with aoyama mineta and hagakure who uh find themselves face to face with mummy um who has started he's he's kind of has like this weird version of like the puppet jutsu that like Konkuro and sasori had in naruto uh-huh. Like he, he wraps things in his little mummy wraps and they animate. So his power is that whatever inanimate objects he wraps up, they animate. And then when you hurt them, they explode sometimes. And then other times they don't, it was strangely, I don't think that it was handled consistently. Um, and then also Aoyama, when he's attacking him, number one, Mineta calls it belly beam, uh, which is actually better in my opinion, the naval laser is, um, at least it makes me laugh a little more. Um, but Aoyama starts shooting lasers from his knees and shoulders now. When did I miss when that became a thing? I, or is this when it became a thing? I don't know that I even noticed that. I feel like I would have written that down and I do not have it a does note it, about He that. does it here and he does it in the big fight at the end. Does he? Like instead of the laser coming straight out of his belt area, he's got these other like beam like repulsor areas huh. on his shoulders and knees and well, he's employing them now to try to shoot these things that mummy's making out of the it air. It would make sense that he has additional lasers like after everything's said and done with all of his uh, outfit upgrades and everything because we know the kids went through a period of time where they like redesigned their outfits. Maybe he added more lasers so that way he could keep up in a fight when his stomach does get hurt. I could see that being plausible. I mean, it's still, those lasers are still dependent upon his belly beam. It's just like they're being diverted to different areas. I guess it just gives him more ability to aim, but 
I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I just noticed that. I do have a um, note here. Like the two of them tell Hagakure to like call into uh, the the agency to let people know what's going on, and oh, she yeah. has a phone. Where the hell does she keep it? What like I, that was the only <laughs> thing I could think of because we know she's naked under that. Like all she's wearing yeah. are gloves and shoes. So. I had a. I don't know where she's keeping it, and I. I, I don't really particularly care to answer that because I have ideas, but none of them are pleasant. Um, but all of the k- kids. This is the most, maybe the most unbelievable part of this entire movie is that all of the class one A students have phones, but they're just pixelated colors. I refuse to believe that. Th- this might be the most unbelievable thing in this movie, at least to this point in it, is that a bunch of teenagers have as their background default colors that are pixel. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm surprised instead of like they didn't have some sort of like stuff. Uh, hero backgrounds. That's kind of what I figured they would all yeah. have. You know, like I could. Oh, you. I mean, at minimum, Deku for sure has a picture of like either All Might or him and All Might. Yeah, no, f- totally. Uh, it wouldn't surprise Absolutely. me if it was a picture of like All Might and All for One fighting. Like that big punch at the yeah. end. He probably caught that somehow. You know. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I don't. I don't know. Um, there were just a lot of moments in the scene where I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. Well, we. <laughs> And we, we, there's a bunch of quick transitions because all this stuff has happened simultaneously. Class 1A is split up just as much as uh, the villains are. And so we swing over to Chimera, who is facing off against Ojiro, Shoji, Asui, and Tokoyami. And Chimera one punches Dark Shadow into oblivion. Like, he disappears. He punches Dark Shadow and it disappears into Tokoyami's body. Dark Shadow noped um, right out oh, of there, so they yeah, end up he sending Tokoyami right. back to the uh, the headquarters to like warn the others. They're like, you, you just go yeah. on back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dark Shadow ain't coming out again no. after that. Plus, it's not nighttime. I think it was like dun- uh, like duskish oh, when the, all this was happening. Yeah, maybe. and like you're out on the beach where the water's reflecting the sunlight at the end of the day. I would imagine it was probably pretty sunny still. So yeah, yeah. Well, Ojiro steps up to hold Chimera off while Tokoyami goes for that backup, um, and then. We we get the sense that the group knows or thinks that there are at least two villains because each of these groups of class one A students uh, independently encountered uh, the the villains that they were facing off against. But then they start to piece things together, and so Ida has got a, a group of them up at the uh, up at the agency, and he starts breaking them off into uh, basically strike teams. Right. So uh, Ida takes. Um, Let's see, he, he has Bakugo, Kirishima, and Kaminari go to the shopping center where Mummy is fighting. And then Mina, Momo, Jiro to first aid and evac. And then Sato, Tokoyami, Shoto, Sero, and Ojiro go back to the beach um, against Chimera. And Ochako and Kodo are tagged as the relief evacuation team for whatever that is. Right. There's um, also a great so scene we, in here where Bakugo kind of has this moment where he's like, oh, don't tell me that that girl was right. Like he, he realizes he probably messed yeah. up. <laughs> Yeah, he starts eating some crow. Um, we catch back up with uh, the team facing off against Mummy. And my first question is, what was Hagakari doing while Mineta and Aoyama were literally reaching their physical limits? Like, Aoyama starts to get his severe stomach aches, and Mineta is bleeding from his head, and all we see are Hagakari's gloved hands in the sink. Like, what, what is she contributing in I this? don't know what she could have contributed. I mean, we don't really know what her powers do, other than the fact that she's invisible, and, like, that's great for some tactics, but if it's a full-on fight like that, I don't know that she could really do a whole lot of anything, you know? We've seen her use that weird... She had that reflection power or something during the provisional exam that she used offensively out of nowhere, it seemed like, but... It just didn't seem like she was contributing, and she doesn't really, not even for pretty much the rest of this movie. Yeah, um, you're right. And I think her phone went missing after this, too, so 
I mean, or she just put it back wherever. You know? I um, think she's got she's got yeah. a hidden <laughs> glove compartment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the boys Kirishina, Kaminari, and Bakugo show up just in time. Only uh, I have my note in here. It's the explanation exclam- of Mummy's quirk can't affect inanimate objects. He says, but you know. I can control your clothes and giant ridiculous grenade hand thingies. Um, so he turns Bakugo into a puppet. Right. Uh, which was pretty epic. Yep. And then we we're back on the beach. Shoji tries to do a super move against Chimera and just gets face grabbed. I mean, just like halted in midair. Yeah, Shoji really full doesn't. Full on face to the palm. Like Shoji, I feel like doesn't show up to this movie at all. Like he does some things in the montages, but when it comes to the big fights, he's pretty much shot down immediately in all of the big fights. Yeah, he's. He's there, and I think that, I mean, he has some limitations that, like I said, some of the other members of Class 1A are always going to get more highlight time. Oh, um, for sure. Uh, you know, more more limelight time. Ojiro is one of those ones who's going to get less of that because of what I think are the limitations of his quirk, given especially what they were up against here. But he he never is just like, guys, I'm, I'm going to hang back. I can't really do anything. He does whatever is asked of him, which is commendable. Absolutely. At least. Well, in, in this scene too, we get Sato doing his sugar rush. Like they're pulling off some of their mega moves. Really? Todoroki vices him down. But I mean, <laughs> Chimera just breaks out of all of this. He is, he is coming down on these kids hard. I mean, you can tell that this is like a veteran fighter and he knows how to fight with his quirk really well. He's even being a bully, like straight up is talking to Ojiro and he's like, you're an ugly yeah. one. I bet you get bullied a lot. Ever blame your parents? And I was just like, good. God. But I think like, he, I, break it, break their bones, not their oh, self-esteem, you jackass. I, see, I feel like he was trying to recruit. <laughs> it wasn't a matter of like trying to break them down and be a bully as much as it was him trying to identify with him. Like, I think he looked at Shoji and was like, I bet this guy got bullied like I did, too. Because he makes mention yeah, of maybe. that. So he does. I, I don't know. I kind of saw it as maybe him trying to be like, hey, I know what it's like. You know, come join our side or something. Like, be part of our... You don't have to be a hero. Don't don't show up for these fools, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Before all this well, happens, though, we do get a scene with Deku, who's at the harbor, and he's trying to find the kids to make sure that they're safe. He's p- pretty much pieced together that villains are attacking, and there are multiple villains, and that more than likely his coworkers or his his schoolmates are on the job. So he actually heads back to where he thinks the kids live to try and see if he can find them there. And then, of course, the fight with Mummy shows up and the Chimera and all of them. Um, and, and so after that, we transition back over to the kids reaching their house. They're there, like, trying to, you know, hunker down. And Nine just blows it up, which felt yeah, weird to me. Not with them. They weren't in no, it. No, but, like, it could have <laughs> killed them pretty easily. And it would have been pretty oh, hard yeah. to take that quirk. And then he would have just, like, what, then? The movie ends? Well, I think that he... I think that whatever his quirk is where he can see them all glowy, you That's know, like, true, like it, it almost looks like the surface of a bubble. I think he knew that they weren't inside of that house. And um, so he comes up and tells uh, Katsuma that he's going to take his quirk, but not kill him. Well, and this is and another he, moment, too, where he scans Katsuma and immediately is able to recognize that he has the cell regeneration quirk. And for some reason, this time he knows that it'll work. Like he knows that yep. it's going to work randomly this time. I don't I don't yep. know why. And it's also. I mean, this is coming from me, so take it with a grain of salt. It's really weird that this son would have the exact same quirk, but with just a slightly different blood type. And then his sister has a quirk that's not even close. Like, not even relate. Like, <laughs> yeah. she makes big puppets. I, like, Illusions, I, yeah. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I feel like that was a bit of a stretch. So, I did a little bit of research on uh, Katsuma's quirk, because Nine identifies it as one that can activate type B blood. 
But through the course of this movie, we don't see it only activate type B blood because we know the blood types of everybody, really, that's on the wiki. Um, so Ma, uh, Katsuma, during the course of this movie, s- activates the cells and heals people of O, A, and B blood. Right. Um, o is Deku, Bakugo is A. Um, he heals the both of them a little uh, a little while from now, and Nine has B blood. So uh, it's it's definitely strange. the The more disheartening thing about this is he's going to steal this this get, this kid's quirk, who's still dreaming about being a hero. Um, so that's that's a bummer. Right. Uh, and then of course Katsuma is doing her bet. Katsuma, I'm going to keep mixing their names up. Mahiro is doing her best to try to keep Nine away from Katsuma, and so this time she sends like a big giant like a dragon or something at him. And so earlier her illusions didn't cast a shadow, but once this one is dispelled, it leaves a swirl of dust, which I thought was a weird, it's like, okay, that's feels inconsistent. But Deku swoops in right at the last second and nine reads Deku's quirk as one that gives him super strength. And that's as far as he knows at that particular right. time. Um, he creates these barriers um, that look a lot like gentle criminals. That's what um, I thought too. They were very similar to gentle criminals. Yeah, and he's shooting uh, like finger lasers, kind of like Golden Frieza now, does a little a little later. Had, had Deku fought uh, gentle, gentle by this by point this time? In time? Yeah. I thought so, but I wasn't. Yeah. I was I was thinking like I don't know if this is right before the end of the season or if it was uh, a little bit you know earlier in the season. But yeah, okay, so he has fought gentle, so he would have. I, th- I think I think so. I, sometimes trying to place anime movies in canon timelines is tricky. Very sometimes. tricky, absolutely. Um, this is a cool little fight scene, though. I mean, it Deku picks up pretty quick what's going on, too. Like, I want to say within the first couple of seconds of him fighting, he's like, okay, this guy's got more than one quirk. He must be just like one for yeah. all. Or sorry, all for one. Yeah, all for one. Yep. Then we catch back up with Mummy, um, who has Kirishima and Kaminari on the ropes with Bakugo as a puppet. But Bakugo blasts himself out. And I would ask why it took so long, but time dilation between scenes is a thing, so I'm pretty sure that it didn't. I think that Bakugo was a puppet for a very small right. period no, of time. No, I totally agree. Like I seconds. was thinking maybe like 10, 15 seconds maximum. Yeah. Uh, the only reason that I could see it being longer is that he needed time to uh, sweat, into his, sweat into his grenades. to Because that's he uses his grenades to blow up out of the mummy's wraps. That's the only reason I could see yeah. it taking more than a few seconds is that he had to have sweated enough to be able to do that, but... That's I true. don't. Well, he gets in close after all. Um, Bakugo does. He closes the distance between him and Mummy, who draws a sword. But Bakugo's too quick and just propels him into a wall. Dude, and I yes. was so desperately wanted to see that cool, um, like the concave circle yeah, thing, yeah, you know, yeah. that like ha- happens in a lot of animes. Um, that would have been cool. But this has a little bit more realism to it. It was guess. really cool, though. And he, Oh, dude, yeah, it's dope. And especially because he's like, I've got a lot of sweat stored up, you know, and you get a maximum blast. And he just yells, die, and lets this thing go straight into Mummy's face. This was the first time that I thought, like, okay, Bakugo's going to kill this guy. And he's totally okay with it. Like, there's no way this guy's surviving. And, I mean, I guess to be fair, we don't know that he does survive. We know he has, like, they capture him, but he never talks. So he may just be turned off inside, you know? I think he's walking around at the Is he? very end of okay. the movie when when the, everybody's getting cleaned but up. But this wrecks him. Um, like, Bakugo wrecks this oh, dude yeah. fast. And then immediately, it's so funny because everybody runs up to him and they're like, are you okay? Because Mummy's raps have just disappeared. And he's like, yeah, that was easy. Just easy yeah. peasy. And then he, sa- 
he says, I'll leave the rescuing to you. And he blasts off to go towards um, the next place where he knows a bad yeah, guy. He's got to crush um, the other so villains. Not towards nine and Deku. Uh, yeah. And uh, so we get, uh, we catch back up with the scene on the beach with Chimera. Um, Ochako is floating Sato and Ojiro's unconscious bodies off. I mean, she's literally doing the medevac thing right here. Um, Todoroki is feeling like he's on the ropes. He's using ice and fire simultaneously against this down here. And there is some like um, so really it, awesome co-op moments with this too, because Todoroki's fighting and I yeah. feel like there's someone else that's like pulling him out of the way from getting hit and then he's going back in and die. Like it was really cool. It is. And we see a lot of cool cooperation, especially in this second round of fighting or wave of fighting here in just a few. Um, we, we return back to Deku in nine. So Deku starts using his little finger guns against nine. Um, and he's trying to figure out how many quirks nine has, uh, and he powers Deku powers up to 20% and tries a St. Louis smash, but it just gets blocked. I mean, completely negated. Um, but this intrigues nine. Um, and so he decides, especially after seeing this smash that he wants to take this quirk. And so this is the second time in the movie where we see silhouettes of, um, previous one for all owners and there's six. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) It's like, man, you guys keep getting this wrong. (laughs) Um, but nine turns out that he can't take it because he quote, doesn't have enough space for all of them. And it says it's like he might have more than one quirk as well, uh, which is pretty, it's pretty interesting. Conversation. Nine is putting things together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and putting things together. he also says his existence is a miracle. So I should destroy him because of that. And this, I don't know. We'll have to talk more about it later, but this bothers me just a bit because you and I have theorized that, Deku had a quirk all this time. He just didn't know what it was. So does this mean that Deku does have more than one quirk? Or does it mean that he also has the quirks of the other people? Because the way Nine says it is as if he realizes that there are other people inside of Deku almost. Yeah, that's that's the way that I read it. That um that it is either his recognition of almost like a sentience to one sure. for all, a multiplicity. Like one, one for, for all is not just really one quirk. It's the culmination of all of these quirks powers. So there's yeah. technically more than yeah. one. It doesn't mean Deku has a second quirk. He doesn't know about It's just that, you know, there are multiple instances of one for all, basically. Yeah. I think that's, that's getting in the right uh, direction. Man, so I really he, want Deku to have up, some sort of like sub quirk. Uh, that well, well, I, th- I think we're close to finding some, some stuff out. This movie talks around and hints at several things that I think, aren't going to be ignored. That's why I think that this is definitely canonical and it's going to have some interesting repercussions. We'll we'll get there here in probably about an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are moving kind of slow, but it's super fun. Um, so Deku gets popped. I mean, just gets wrecked, uh, in front of the kids. Um, and so Maharo uses her quirk to make a giant illusion of Deku, which was uh, really cool. I kind of liked this. It was a good idea. My favorite, my favorite part about it, though, is that she includes the blood on his face. <laughs> well, she had to let them know that he was wasn't like, okay, because I don't think yeah, she yeah. <laughs> screams and we, the audience, hear her screaming like, someone please save Deku, but I don't think the yeah. whole island heard that, unless she yeah, can also project so her voice through her holograms all of a sudden, which would be pretty cool. Right, uh, right. We also found out um, during this fight, too, that those lasers coming out of Nine's hands aren't lasers, but they're like gusts of wind, which felt yep. like a really or, weird way to display them. Or was that one of his other ones? It's really hard to keep track. I think he, I don't know if the finger lasers, the ones where they actually showed the purple lines flying through the air were yeah. wind. 
I think that he was using something else at that time in the I'm, forest against Deku that was wind I'm also just going to go ahead and throw out there, I don't like that Nine's name is Nine because he can have nine quirks. That's so dumb. Like, give me a real name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, he had to have had a name before before the he experiments. He always have I'm with, nine. I'm with yeah, you like, on that. What was that name? Why didn't they use... Like, there's no way that he showed back up to Chimera and Slice and Mummy and they were like, oh, hey, Nine. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, he had, yeah. they were like, "Hey, Andrew," and he was like, "No, call me Nine. I mean, now he texted. Okay, him. that's what it was. Duh. You better not call me um, Andrew ever again. I'm Nine now. Yeah. <laughs> he updated his Facebook profile and everything. Yeah, man. Okay. Um, Bakugo shows up, gets blocked by Nine, um, and Deku's trying to warn him that he's got multiple quirks and he can steal them. And uh, so they start engaging with Nine. Bakugo starts getting cocky because he's like, "I've already seen these moves. There's no way you're going to stop me again." But then he's promptly snatched up in the mouth of a blue dragon that erupts out of the back of nine. And uh, it's like this giant armored eagle thing that slams them down. And Bakugo is complaining about broken ribs here. Deku goes for another Detroit smash. And nine sees something that he really doesn't like um, about this particular smash. Like there's nine's demeanor throughout all of this, no matter how bombastic things get until towards the very end is taking things very calmly. Like his suit doesn't even get wrinkled. He, the dude is so cool, calm and right. collected. Um, but when this smash comes in, his eyes go wide for a split second. And he eventually ends up just lightning bolting the crap out of these two guys. Uh, and so they're lying there in, as steaming piles of uh, provisional, provisionally licensed heroes that have been defeated, but they each grab one of nine's legs as he begins to uh, make his way towards the kid's. Uh, and tell him that this fight isn't done yet. It's also starting to get uh, really dark around the island, and power goes out everywhere. So, like, nighttime is yeah. quickly approaching. Yep. And so the nine lurches like he did before, and his he's starting to take some battle damage. The little purple lines start uh, creeping across his face. Uh, Slice shows up kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, it was um, really but, weird. Like, she was busy messing up the docks. How come, like... I felt that was weird. That was a little deus ex for nine. Yeah. Um, but the, finally the uh, Shoji comes in, grabs the kids. Ochako floats the boys uh, and Asui wraps them both up in warm saliva soaked embrace with her tongue to which I had to ask the question. And I'm shocked. I never asked this question before on this podcast, but does she taste all of the things that she wraps her tongue I would around? Assume so. But I, I would imagine that like part of that quirk is learning to, ignore that kind of stuff you know what i mean she also does this fun thing where she's like a ribbit and i thought that was cool yeah uh yeah yeah but both both sides basically pull a tactical retreat yeah they both point. agree um, to like kind of back off for a moment uh everyone's getting called yeah. back chimera leaves um and it's funny because he's just like i don't want to deal with too many heroes like i know you guys are kids but i don't like this many heroes so he's just like all right i'll let you live this time <laughs> and he leaves he just he just jumps and there's off. a great moment too where i think I want to say that it's uh, maybe Todoroki that says something like, oh, all right, cool, we fought him off or something. Someone says something along the lines of like, he's gone. We got rid of him. And Ida's like, no, no, he's just letting us go. You know, like we yeah. did not win this fight, guys. <laughs> yep. We everybody's back kind of at the agency where they're holding up. Um, even most of the people in the island, if not everybody are there. Kaminari is charging batteries that Momo's generated along with a bunch of other emergency supplies. They're basically in um, disaster response mode here. The guys are beat up. They're worn out. 
Um, but what's really cool is even those that were engaged in the combat still find time to make food and feed the whole island, yeah. um, which is really cool. Um, they've captured Mummy. Deku and Bakugo are still KO'd. Um, and they've got some doctors there from the clinic that also seem to have healing powers. You and I have talked about that. But before. they just weren't like as powerful um, as Recovery Girl, it didn't seem like. No, and they definitely didn't have to kiss them. They were channeling kind of like Dende, like through their hands. But they explained that they can close the wounds, but they couldn't fix broken bones. And so Hatsuma wants to try his quirk on Midoriya and Bakugo. And they give him permission, which felt to me like really bad medicine. Yeah, and it but, also um, seems really weird that like trained professionals that have healing quirks were unable to heal the two of these kids, but some random five-year-old that probably hasn't had his quirk more than a couple of years that doesn't actively train with it was able to use his quirk for multiple hours on end to, to heal these kids up. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think maybe the argument is that it's a difference of degrees. Like Katsuma's is a much stronger version of the same quirk that the doctors have. So it could have, be kind of like uh, still the, the girl weird. that they rescued. On the island? No, no, from the show. Uh, they rescued the little girl along Airy? with Eerie, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. Because like her quirk was like insane cell regeneration and she had no control yeah. over it at all. Right. So maybe he's somewhere kind like of- in between there? Uh, yeah. Okay, I yeah. can see that. That makes uh, it, when I put it in perspective like that, it makes it a little bit more viable, I guess. Yeah. Well, we, we finally get a glimpse into this plan that the hero or that the villains have been talking about, that they want to create a world ruled by the truly powerful where your strength is revered. So he's Magneto, essentially. Um, he, Nine, donated his body to the League of Villains quirk enhancing experiments. My guess here, and this is why I think that this uh, is going to be canonical, is that the League of Villains, because I was trying to figure out why in the world, what, is, what does the League of Villains get out of this? these experiments. Here's my best guess, um, that these test subjects are being used to prepare Shigaraki for a similar buff to become more like, uh, all for one by giving him the ability to absorb quirks like all for one, but they didn't want to test it on Shigaraki first and fail or whatever. So they basically put out an APB like, Hey, who wants more quirks? We'll do it for free. Um, and then they're going to collect this data um, probably have no plans on letting any of the successful subjects live for very long, which is why I think Shigaraki shows up at the end. But I think that the whole point of these experiments is to fine tune a process so that they can give Shigaraki all for one. Yeah, I agree. I, I really feel like the lead up here has been, we know they're making no moves with like multiple quirks. We know the no moves were originally individuals. So they were humans at some point in time. I think nine yep. is the like alpha of, you know, or maybe the beta of the Nomu protocol, like no moves were a thing. And then they figured out how to do it with humans and keep them from becoming these weird brainless creatures. And that yep. is nine. And the next yep. one will be Shigaraki. I, that's exactly what I think too. I just don't like the way that they kind of portray nine as this, like even before he goes and, and donates his body to this experiment, you know, they, they have this scene where Chimera, is like surrounded by billions of cops. It seems like like a whole city has tracked him down after some sort of massive heist and they're all like dead around him and nine has wrecked all of them and is like, Oh, you're evil. Come with me. I'm evil too. Yeah. Like that's pretty much it. There's no other real background here. It's just, and they only show it with Chimera. They don't do it with the other two. So it just seems kind of weird that like they don't do something for mummy and slice, like the gathering of the villains, but it kind of seems like he is this mega powerful, quirk wielding villain beforehand as well and we just never heard of him he was just not big time i guess 
Yeah, and we do know that his original power was this uh, weather control. Was it weather control um, or just lightning? Because I felt like it was just lightning, and maybe he acquired it, the rest. Yeah, I think well, weather or and or lightning, um, and that he was given the ability to hold eight others, right. um, which is why he was able to use or why why he came to be known as. Nine. And I don't think we but see using... all nine of them either. We only see like four or five. I I honestly didn't even try to keep track because some of them are hidden. You know, we know that he can, I assume sensing quirks was one. Uh, He's got the weather thing. He's got the air thing. He's got the barrier thing. He's got the finger lasers thing. He's got the blue eel thing. That's six right there. Um, So he does probably have a couple of like inactive quirks basically. Yeah. Or yeah. Or, you know, less, less offensive maybe um, or less visible, but his, but using these powers too much results in the destruction of his tissue. Thus, the need for the regeneration right. work. Um, so he's healing up right now. And then we we shift back over to the students who are... Uh, Ida and Momo are leading the sit rep as class president. Um, and uh, what, what's her class title again? Secretary? Uh, I don't remember. Finance officer? Maybe she's the finance uh, officer or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or the assistant pre- both, vice president, maybe. Yeah. They're, they're both in positions of leadership in the classroom and also throughout this movie, which I thought was a really uh, nice touch. Yeah. Um, Momo says that she sent a drone to the mainland, but it was going to take six hours just to get there. And that doesn't ta- uh, account for the time that real pro heroes are going to need to get to Nabu Island. So it does, is Kirogiri's power that unique that they do, like the pro heroes don't know somebody that can do what Kirogiri does. And it's possible. Because I don't think t- that we've been introduced to any other transporting quirks at all. So, and we've been yeah, introduced to just, a lot, like fire quirks are a dime a dozen apparently. Yeah. You know, like there are a lot of these quirks that just seem like either they're really convenient for writing or they're just like, you know, a bunch of them, you know, there seems to be a yeah. lot of strength quirks. So it, yeah. Cause they, they talk about it's going to take them a long time to get to the island. And I was just like, you don't know a single person that can do transport. Um, but anyway, Hawks end up, ends up carrying All Might to the island by himself. And he, and they're the first to arrive. I guess the other folks took boats Which or seems something. strange it to just, me, too. Like, is there not a plane? You know what I mean? Like, is yeah. that not faster than Hawks? Yeah, it was weird. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> man, we, I love our tangents. Yeah. It's so much fun. <laughs> um, they're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and uh, Katsuma offers to tells them basically you need to hand me over to the villains, um, which makes him a hero right then and there, as far as I'm concerned. And then we have the All Might voiceover where he says, "If you have mutual respect, talking about talking to actually Bakugo and Midoriya, if, if you have mutual respect and focus on making one another stronger, you'll become the ultimate heroes who can both win and save people at the same time." Uh, and so we. They mobilize. They've got this big plan. Midoriya's acting like a five-star general, and he's like, listen, we're going to go to this fortress place. We're going to attack him in waves and make him use his quirk until he's at his limit. You're gonna, Everybody's going to avoid close contact because he can take, take your quirks. We just have to last long enough for help to arrive. That's their original plan. Um, Bakugo disagrees. He's like, we're going to kick the crap out of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this, we're, not, we're not holding them off. I'm going to kill them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, nine is not deterred in the least by, uh, the, this, the threat of a bunch of children on an Island. It feels very and, like a uh, Helm's Deepy almost from Lords of the ring or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Cause they send everybody to like caves in the background that were mysteriously there the whole time. Yep. Everybody's in caves and like, who's back there? Coda, Coda and Sato, uh, I think. S- Sato and Hagakure. Is Hagakure back the la- there? Yeah. I yep, guess that makes sense. But you know, 
She is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's one of the ones that gets underutilized well, and it's, it's understandable how you could miss her. Well, for so. sure. And, and that was another thing. Like whenever they set up this ambush, the last few people that they have to protect the kids seem like the worst people to have last. I mean, I guess like their quirks aren't frontline quirks, but at the same time, they're definitely not your last defense either. I didn't feel like. Right. Yeah. The last four in line basically are Shoji, Sato, Hagakure, and uh Koda. And Jiro's there too, I think. She's she's at the end with uh with Shoji. Yeah, initially she does get involved. She does. Um, and at least her quirk I can see being a last defense because she does sonic wave stuff, which is pretty like no one is ever invincible to sonic wave stuff, you know. But I don't know. I just felt like out of all of your big hitters, those none of those are really the ones that you would I would think put in your last defense, you know. It's pretty cool though the way that they attack the villains because they the villains are not intimidated at all initially they're just walking straight up the one path to get up to this uh this building and ioyama uses a max output naval laser um so look at him being all useful and stuff is in my he was uh, is in my notes. really cool in this movie he did a, i felt like he he, they utilized him in so many ways and uh he he's basically buying some time for momo to make these two giant cannons with the last of her lipids so once she does this She's out like she's spent and she, and she vocalizes that much. Um, but between the, those two assaults, they work to split up uh, the villain such that nine is still advancing up the middle. Slice falls through the ground, like into a cave system below ground and Chimera is launched off into the forest. Um, and it's funny because Ioyama, he finishes with his max output naval laser and he's like, I think he's hanging up. Is he, he gets knocked upside down at some point. I yeah, think, because and he just says, I think it. some leaked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nine reflects that, that <clears throat> gross na- uh, naval beam and like Momo and Ioyama get wrecked. And I think yeah. he is. He's like laying there like, oh, I think some leaked out. <laughs> I think some leaked out. <laughs> Sero and Ochako team up for a cool combo move against Nine. Oh, this was cool. Where Ochako floats a whole bunch of rocks and Sero is just grabbing them with the tape and whipping them down at nine. It doesn't work to great effect, no, but it was still cool. It was to cool. See. And they do this like super big combo move too here in a bit with uh, Mineta. That's pretty, pretty wicked. Um, yeah, yeah. But we, we switch over to like Slice, who is in that cave, and Dark Shadow is going after her. And it was really funny because like Dark Shadow's attacking her while Shido is, is melting stalactites and it, they're dropping down on top of her. And Dark Shadow, it's not Dark Shadow, it's, uh, it's, it's Tokoyami. He says, darkness is my domain. And I was like, what are you? That's such a cheesy, like, are you Bane now? You know, who are you? And yeah. then, you know, of course, Slice, like, kicks the crap out of Tokoyami. And she's like, your domain? I mean, it was just such a goofy little scene. Now, this was cool because Dark Shadow is wearing Tekogaki. I think yes. that's how you pronounce it. They're like Wolverine-like claws. They're really cool looking. So. You literally have Wolverine versus Lady Deathstrike, yeah. kinda in this in this scene, um, which which is pretty cool. But um, we we we're gonna be popping in and out of these different scenes. There's a lot of transitions because again, all this is happening simultaneously. Right. Because we so next we because we transition over to Chimera, who's fighting off against Sue and Todoroki, and it's pretty wicked because Sue grabs him the moment he falls and drags him underwater, and then Todoroki completely ices him. So right off the bat, I'm like, all right, this guy's probably going to be down for a couple minutes, but no way, man. Uh, Kirishima and Ida show up for backup, but Chimera breaks out of the ice like almost instantaneously, and he lights up a cigar in the coolest way. Like He pops it in his mouth and then breathes fire around it to light it. And and he's just like, all right, let's do this. Like we're gonna we're gonna yeah. go for it. I had in my notes that Ida and Kirishima are there too after Todoroki freezes the waterfall thing. 
So I said, Ida and Kirishima are there too. So it's bound not to have worked. Right. Um, that makes because yeah. otherwise, why otherwise, would why would there? they be there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then here's another question I have: When does Ida need his glasses? Because there are times where he's wearing them all the time, and then in, for the majority of the, like the last half hour of this movie, he's running around without them just fine. Maybe he put on contacts. But he his room isn't full of contacts, man. His room is full of glasses. Don't you remember? That's true. I bet they're built into his helmet. He's, so he's running around without his helmet no, later you're on. You're right, though. he is. But I mean, when villains crush your glasses and you're on an island... Well, that's the other thing. Bakugo doesn't have replacement gear either. I mean, he blows up his one uh, grenade. And I'm sorry, but you can't tell me that he didn't have backup gear. Like, surely these students have that, right? I don't know. Maybe not on this island. I mean, that seems... Like like an uh, an oversight, but they also thought that they were being sent to a place where like shoplifting is the most significant crime so they were going to have to. You're deal telling with. me the the students that have literally fought off at USJ and then the summer camp and then the provision exam, like all of the events, literally everything they do, villains attack, and they're still yeah. underprepared. Like, come on, have they learned <laughs> nothing? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe not. I mean, it's could also be the could, like reasonably be the fault of the people who sent them. There, okay, that's but. fair. Um, we catch up now with uh, the main assault on nine, and we're. S- the, the, c- do you know that this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and why? C- can you tell me right now why it is? We could. I would it. imagine it's tell. because there's Rainbow Puke. Yes, yeah. I actually, Monica I actually have a note in here because the main group is like not able to slow nine down at all, and there's this really awesome move where Ochako is just like using all of her powers, and she almost throws up. And I have a note that just says, "Where is Adkins Rainbow Puke?" <laughs> I know my first note for this scene is all in all caps. It just says, "So close to Rainbow Vomit again," yeah. and I'm denied. Yep. Um, but it, we do finally get there. So she yells plus ultra. She lifts a bunch of these logs that are holding back this massive avalanche of boulders. Um, the strain knocks her out. So Saro uh, has to whip Mineta. Like, uh, he, he whips Mineta out over top of these rocks so that he makes them all stick together. It makes you functionally a mountain on top of nine. Um, but this is where the rainbow vomit comes in. Ochako comes to or or something, and she is officially used too much, and she vomits rainbows. and. The show can end now. I'm, I'm You're good. good. That's all you needed. It, 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 listen, it, it it was in the first few episodes of the first season. We're two movies and four episodes or four seasons deep, and this is only the second time I've ever seen it. You know that I've been desperate for this rainbow vomit for so long. So that means and it felt good to have it fulfilled. That means either one of two things is happening: either Ochako's not working hard enough, so she's not training hard enough and not throwing up enough, or she's working so hard in the background that we don't see it in you know, practical use most of the time. That's how far advanced she's gotten. Yeah. Or maybe she's like me. Like if I know that I'm going to get sick, the first thing I do is get by myself. True. Um, That's fair. But anyway, none of that is relevant. She doesn't have that opportunity here. She, she blows, uh, she blows rainbow chunks and it makes me happy. Um, but their attack doesn't work. Nine blasts out. Um, doesn't look worse for the wear at all. There's not even any like scuff marks drawn into his suit. Um, so Aoyama and Momo, despite being absolutely drained, try and attack from behind. Um, Bakugo finally blasts in, to, much to Nine's surprise. Nine thought that they were dead, that he had killed Deku and yeah, Bakugo. Yeah, he thought that they were like dead, dead, uh, because he was really shocked when Bakugo shows up. And then, of course, Deku follows Bakugo. I think they were both mm-hmm. with Shoji originally. And Bakugo's, Bakugo's like, okay, we're not waiting any longer. And Deku, because I think they were supposed to be the last line of defense. And I guess realistically, they are. Yeah. But you know, yeah. they, they rush off forward and Deku follows um, and they both combo up against nine and it's pretty cool. They do what they call, I think it was called X catapult 
Uh, Max Catapult. Was it Max Catapult? It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, the two of them teaming up in this was so much fun in the beginning. Like, I really, really love this first fight with the with him, them in nine. Um, it's it's awesome. Like, they just kick his ass. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, so they're still trying to find this guy's physical quirk limitation. Uh, they do this Max Catapult, and uh, nine is basically like, that wasn't a bad effort. And Deku's like, we're just getting started. And then Bakugo, Bakugo's, and he's like, now we're going to kill yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're just getting warmed up. Slice seems to be handling Tokoyami pretty well. Um, but he forces her to use uh, her hair like a shield and Mina melts it all. So now she has a bob, um, which is f- way less intimidating. Uh, but she does still manage to shoot Mina in the leg for all her trouble, which just pisses off Dark Shadow. Um, and so he awakens kind of like he did on the assault at the summer camp and just goes berserk. Yeah. Uh, so slice and last ditch effort causes a, a cave in from the ceiling, which not only buries them in rubble, but also exposes Dark Shadow to the sunlight. And that's where we leave that scene for a pretty good chunk of the rest. You of know, this. this scene really resonated with me, though, because when Tokoyami loses control of Dark Shadow and he like freaks out, expands, takes up the whole space of the cave, Slice says something along the lines of like, what even is this? And I, I have to agree with her. I'm like, this isn't a quirk. This is like a possession or something. Like, it's so, yeah. you know, even she's like, this isn't a quirk. Like, I've been duped. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, I, I felt bad for her because I'm like, she had no idea. It's possible that Tokoyami is the strongest character in the show and we would have no idea. Well, I think that that was the suspicion um, very early on that that, that, uh, that that was the case, that he was very much one of the, uh, one of the higher up powerhouses amongst the students, but he's got, uh, some pretty severe limitations, but we, we jump from there to back to Chimera who is absolutely handling the students that are fighting him. I mean, he's taking everything that they've thrown at him. Um, but he goes to charge up, uh, but he finds that he can't move. And so it turns out that the assault that these guys have been, uh, making against him, they had coated Kirishima's hands and Ida's legs in a toxin from Sue's mouth. Um, that was uh, a paralytic of some kind, and so which is new. Was it right? paralytic, like, or I'm was not... it like a glue? Because I thought it was just that he was glued together. No, no, I think that he found himself unable to move. Gotcha. I thought that he was like glued together because they were attacking him in specific spots, so that way he would be hit and closed together. I thought, and then it was like keeping him quickly glued or something. But it may be a bit some sort of neurotoxin. I guess that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. That's what I thought. Because it looks like then, he busts out of it. Like he has to like, almost like he's busting out of like wire or something. Well, he, t- he definitely transforms anyway, regardless of what definitely, this, uh, yeah. this toxin does and goes, goes into the classic anime mouth laser, um, which I'm, I'm a big fan of. Personally. I love it. And he just starts, uh, uh, he just starts blasting, I mean, uh, the, the land around them with a giant laser from his mouth. I mean, straight out of Dragon Ball and the. Uh, Ozaru form basically. He looks straight up like a chimera now too. Like if I remember correctly, yeah. he is at this point he is totally evolved into like this full beast looking creature, and it is so cool. Like the moment he did this, I was like, these kids don't stand a chance. There is no way that they can stand up against this guy. Uh, and I think at this point, Jiro actually spots everybody kind of getting wrecked. Like, oh crap! Like chimera is totally messing these guys up. Yeah, but we still don't see the end of that fight because we go back to uh, the main fight where they finally seem to have reached uh, Nine's breaking points because he goes to um, strike the boys again, Bakugo and Deku, 
but uh, he it's interrupted by those spasms that we had seen yeah. earlier. There's also a scene where uh, like Sarah and Achako joined the nine five, but I think he wrecks them again really quickly. Oh yeah, yeah. Like no and then he's using that no time. blue dragon's arms that come out of his back when he like starts freaking out and convulsing. It's it's almost like he has like a diabetic attack or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. So then we get back to the finally the end of the uh, Chimera fight. Uh, we we I mean it's like whiplash the change transitions between these scenes. And Todoroki just asks for an opening. And so uh, Ida is distracting Chimera with the Recipro Burst. Tokoyo- uh, Todoroki uses uh, Red Riot as a shield. Um, and Unbreakable, to this day, is still the coolest visual in the series. It is. It's Changed super my mind. cool. Yeah. Um, super awesome. I mean, it's so a lot he, like the Kamino Ward, where they use him on top of the ice as kind of like a sled almost. Like they're using him to project forward. Yeah, he's like a riot shield. Um, and Todoroki... Todoro, uh, Todoroki gets in close and he says, what my dad taught me with fire, I'll do with ice. And so instead of increasing his heat to the highest, he uh, decreases his cold to its lowest limit. Um, and uh, as he's like on Chimera's chest with his hand basically down his mouth, Sue has got hands wrapped up. Ida ends up jumping on the tail and Todoroki straight up flash freezes Chimera. And he almost freezes himself in the process. Yeah. But this is gruesome what he does to chimera imagine being flash frozen from the inside out it was nasty this was an insane scene i can't believe he was able to do it honestly but i was surprised to see that he was as damaged by the ice as he was i guess because i mean we haven't really seen it too much in the show but i was kind of under the impression that he was immune to fire to some extent i mean with the way that he wields it but I guess he does have that scar, so I don't know. It maybe he's not. But I felt like he must also be immune to freezing. You know, like he wouldn't be able to get hypothermia. I guess if he's not balancing it out, that would be why. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like that we learned um, during the the sports festival is that when he doesn't use his fire, that ice can uh, freeze him up, slow him down, begin to overwhelm yeah. him. But I mean, ice crystals erupt from Chimera. Oh yeah, it is violent. It is violent. He. Todoroki walks off and says something like hibernate for a while. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Like, if this happens to you for real, you're, you're well, dead. Well, I was really like, surprised that they didn't bust him up. Like, I figured Ida would do, like, a spin kick and, like, kick the ice to make sure that he was destroyed, oh, no, no. you know? I don't think I don't think Ida would have done Maybe that. Maybe not. But if Bakugo but had been there, yeah, he absolutely sure. I wish Bakugo had been there. That would have been a cool scene. Yeah, that's like that's like the equivalent. We we are gonna keep talking about Dragon Ball Z stuff because that's what we know. But that's like you know when they when they had beat a couple of members of the Ginyu Force and then Vegeta just rolls up on the scene and starts chopping heads yeah, off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vegeta's just like, nah, dog. This is how we do this like, round here. I'm not. I'm not gonna um, have these guys sneak up behind me. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would do... with Chimera. That guy. I mean, he was powerful. He almost seemed more powerful yeah. than Nine in some instances here. Because the amount yeah. of damage he could do was just insane. Like, it, can you imagine if he had been on the hero side? He would easily be in the top five. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely that. That was it. Was a very hard fight. It took everything that all f- four of the heroes that were assigned to him had, including Todoroki, who we know is one of the strongest um, quirks in Class One. Absolutely. Uh, well, we transition back over to the Nine fight, and Nine is absolutely feeling the pain. Like, he's kind of recovered, uh, but Bakugo and Deku are absolutely just wrecking him. I mean, they're attacking in turns, and finally, he drops his mask, and, like, the purple vials on his back get injected into him. So, 
I'm guessing there's some sort of like stimulant or some sort of steroid or something, maybe trigger to just hype him up uh, because then he's like, all right, I don't have to hold back any longer. So maybe it's something that heals him, like something that could regenerate his cells so that way he doesn't have to hold back, but it's it's temporary. Uh, but he starts... Yeah, that's how I took it. He summons lightning from the sky and just like totally wrecks his surroundings. Uh, and then we cut back over to Hawks uh, right after this scene. I mean, it's you're right when you say that it's almost like Whiplash. whiplash. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It is very much so whiplash. Like all of these fights and scenes are very quick because we transition right back over to Hawks, who is like interviewing Katsuma's father in the middle of this huge fight after this huge lightning attack. Yeah, they um and Hawks is he he figures out because when the villains took the dad's quirk, they took his ID, presumably so that they wouldn't be able to trace them to where they were going. And so Hawks learns about cell activation. And then he learns that the kids are on Naboo, and then they get a call that there are villains assaulting Naboo, presumably because I, I assume Momo's um, drone uh, reached the right. mainland. So then he's like, get in touch with UA, their students are there, and they're facing these uh, these villains alone. So then we snap back <laughs> to the island. Jiro, Ojiro send Shoji off with the kids. Um, and Jiro tries to collapse the bridge that Nine is on, but the little blue dragons kind of arrest his fall. They work almost like Dr. Octopus's arms. They have a lot um, of utility. They're not explained very very well, but they're really freaking cool. Shoji shields the kids, um, but the, their little last stand here, um, doesn't end very well. Bakugo and Deku are off screen right now. Presumably they had been struck by that giant bolt of lightning that he released just a a few minutes ago. Um, And nine is talking to them. He's like, listen, unless you want your sister to die, you come over here. And so uh, Mahiro is telling Katsuma to run away. um, But he instead runs towards nine. And just as he gets within quirk stealing range, Deku smashes nine nine's face. Oh yeah. This Um, was epic. It's yeah. It's so awesome. So Bakugo, um, is on the scene as well. And if he, there, the kids are like, you're alive. And he's like, weren't you listening? I'm going to be the number one hero better even than all might. Uh, and nine is confused about how they avoided his lightning, but they just tell him that uh, they used Kaminari as a lightning rod. <laughs> and then it shows Kaminari. He was just like, duh. Hey, yeah. <laughs> oh, that man. was, it is a genius it move, was. but it, that made me I laugh. did not realize that he could do that. Like I, we know that he has electric output. I did not realize he could also be electric input. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they just fried Kaminari. Well, it, then a lot of things happen very quickly. Um, they manage to smash through one of nine shields. Deku smashes through the blue dragons. Bakugo does this crazy flame spin attack, and that pushes nine over the edge. He ba- nine basically goes like Super Saiyan, where I mean, it, it, there's all this energy crackling around him. His hair is up on end. Um, he's you know he's gone you know to the next level, and and he's controlling. This is where I thought that I got the control all types of weather yeah. because he generates a giant tornado. Well, I think um, someone mentions that he must be able to control all types of weather because he's like summoning uh, lightning. Man, he's he got is. this tornado and then he surrounds it with fire. And like, it's pretty crazy. Like, he is absolutely going to tear this island into a jillion pieces. Uh, and yep. the kids know it too. I mean, they even mentioned like he's going to rip the island apart. And so Deku goes 100% full cowling and Bakugo goes like 100% Bakugo, I guess. And they both do. He does the howitzer right, impact. Right. They do their special moves. The howitzer impact is so cool. Uh, nine is like I said, he's tearing the island apart, and Sato is inside the cave, like trying to keep the opening together, I guess, or 
take, I don't really know. It was weird. I just, I remember. He's just holding the rocks back. Yeah, but I mean, they're in a cave where an island is literally like tremoring. There's no way there weren't rocks falling (laughs) from the ceiling. He's just like holding the front door. Like, yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. guess. It was just a weird scene. I felt like there were a lot of weird little scenes where they're like, let's include this hero for no reason. Yeah, like Koda and Hagakure also in that yeah. scene. I mean, they're just standing yeah, they're just there, standing, yeah. basically. Koda is keeping the bats at bay. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. The um. Oh, yeah, I like that. Oh, I love that explanation, actually. Um, Still doesn't do anything for Hagakure, but what are you going to do? Um, Nine now has these cool wings that look like chakra wings that we saw in one of the early episodes or early seasons of Naruto from that one clan that got their power from the meteor. You remember yeah, what I'm talking I about? I vaguely remember that. Honestly, to me, he just turned more into Sephiroth than anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he's he's doing the exact thing that Ida was doing during the Heroes versus Villains training thing where he goes into a villainous monologue in the middle of this big battle and he's like, I'm going to create this new society where labels like hero and villain won't be necessary, power will be all that matters, and that's how a true superhuman society should be structured. And of course, Bakugo is just like, that's never going to work, you moron. Um, and uh, the Blue Dragons are attempting to basically bite Bakugo and, and Deku in half. and uh Deku we we get uh front row seats in his thought process here and he starts wondering aloud what would all might do which would make for a pretty crazy bracelet WWAMD um <laughs> and there are flashes of scenes of 1A students downed all over the island um in in very quick succession and everything kind of gets quiet and Midori is explaining to Bakugo that, the, that he has this crazy idea that the only there's only one way they're going to be able to stop him. Well, um, really, this that, this um, idea only comes after he's kind of given up. Like they they they've hit this yeah. part where both of them are getting bitten in half, and the only reason yep. they really do anything is because the kids, you know, uh, Katsume and, and Maharo scream out to them like, "We believe in you. Please don't give up." And and that's when Deku is like, "All right, I've got this crazy idea." <laughs> uh, and this is almost where I start to tune the movie out. Oh yeah. So Deku is just like Bakugo. Listen to me. You've got to hold your hand out, and I'm going to give you one for all. And they become blood brothers, and like their their hands are bleeding from the fight, and they like hold hands for a second, and then they basically turn into Super Saiyans. I mean, it's I, yep. the show, the movie just kind of breaks down in a weird way here uh, for me, at least, because now they're both like in this ascended state that we've never seen before. And they are absolutely going nuts. I mean, it gets to a point where, like, in this fight, the artwork just breaks down to them, like, yep. running over flashy scenes. And, yep. like, they're not even on an island anymore. It's, it's, I, I don't <laughs> even know what's happening. It's just flashiness. It was like a, like a nine techno rave. They went into another parallel universe and fought there. I don't know. Yeah. So, all right. A couple things here, real quick. Number one, touching bloody fingertips is a hell of a lot better than having to eat. Agreed. Hair. Um, so one for all is in both of them now and deck or Baka goes like, well, after this, will you still be able to use your power? And Midoriya says, I don't know, but all might was able to protect us with its embers even after he passed it to me. So now presumably they both have this, but is Bakugo's body up for this? That's my same I mean, question 100%. too. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> it took Deku months and months and months of training to be able to do like 1%. And to be fair, Bakugo has had his quirk a lot longer. He's been training a lot longer. He is more physically adept than, than Midoriya is. But is he ready for 100% all, all for one? I don't know. No. I And the fact that he well, was able to get it and just immediately use it seemed really weird to me but we also know that all might was able to pretty much immediately use it too so 
Yeah, it's strange. And I this is the part where I, I was watching this in the theater before season four was over. And I remember watching this and my jaw freaking yeah, dropping to the mine floor. Did too. Because I was like, how in the hell is this going to play out in the right, anime? Because it has I mean, I insane was like, implications. I mean, the moment it happens, yes. you're just like, what the hell? Like, okay, this redefines the show. Yes, I was, I mean, I seriously, during this entire fight until the, literally the very end of this movie, which we're going to talk about in a second, I was paying attention, but I was thinking at a million yeah, miles an too. hour. Because I was like, if, I was like, listen, the first movie was pretty canonical. And if they're pulling the same stunt here, which I still believe they are, uh, and at this point in the movie, I was like, what are they going to do with this? Yeah. <laughs> this is wild. And so they're talking that, you know, this is going to be the end of Midoriya's dream. He's going to be quirkless again. But he's explaining that All Might would agree that he had given it to Bakugo. Um, and it, it's he, it, it's wild. I mean, like you're saying, this this reminded me wholesale of the fight at the end of the newest Broly movie where they, they get to a point where it's like animation style changes. It does look like they're fighting on a place that isn't the place that they're actually it's fighting. It's like planar fighting. Like, yeah, there's a scene they, that doesn't do even this. make sense in this fight where, like, Bakugo goes to punch and there's rock in his way, so he just melts it and goes through it. But there's nothing yeah. else around him. The island's not around. Like, it's just like a black and blue background with, like, random rock in the middle. It was so strange. Yeah, and the worst part about it, really, is the music. Yeah, it's this weird, like, slowed down, like, it almost like you were watching one of those videos with all the dogs and cats that need to be adopted. Yes. You know? Yep. It, yep. 100%. Like in the arms of an angel, <laughs> you've got Deku and Pakigo attacking Keanu Reeves up in the sky. Yep. Yeah. And it's crazy. They do this double Detroit smash. So now both of Deku's arms are messed up. And one of Bakugo's is all that, that but crazy purple that we see Midoriya's arms Clarify do. this for me. They do it for no reason. They just shoot it up into they, the sky. <laughs> yeah. It's like they just smash a hole through. That's what my notes say, too. They blast a hole through the storm nine conjured up. And that's kind of all that seemed but to like, do. Because all it did was make nine more right, purple. What, like, why? <laughs> I was just like, were they showing off? Were they testing the powers? Did they need to be able to see? What's going on here? Yeah. Like, why would they not have used that attack on him? I was so frustrated it's so by strange. that. Yeah. And so I'll, my last notes, this fight goes on for like five it's minutes. Long. But my notes... Yeah, it's very... My notes are so clippy, though. It's like, Bakugo's fire seems to be enhanced. Blue and red. Bakugo sends lava-like boulder at nine. It gets blocked. Deku follows its path and manages to break one of those barrier things. He says, this is my final smash, which I thought was poetic. Was. And then he kicks nine. And then right after that, Bakugo blasts him with this insane fire blast, which dis dissipates the storm and takes out nine. And then you get the ember visual... That goes out and you hear Midoriya say goodbye one for all. Thank you. But that whole, that sequence is complete. It's difficult. It is to absolutely it indiscernible. Is, There's nothing happening. Yeah. It's just these characters this on the is, screen, like going back and forth at each other. Yep. It's, it's hard. It's like watching a Transformers movie yes. or like I said, was, the end of... Uh, the the Broly movie. I felt the same way. I like that movie, but the there's a part of that fight where I'm just like, you can't even track with what's exactly. going on. It's just that's pretty. what I told my <laughs> wife too. Like the, we were watching it, and I said, this reminds me of the first Transformers movie. Like they didn't have the budget for the CGI or something, so they would show like random tech looking things and a whole bunch of lights. Yep. You know, and it's like yep. I I don't know. This felt I would rather have seen more of the last few fights. I mean, all of the other fights in this movie were so cool. I don't know why they had to go and make this one so 
insane. You know, like it's just too yeah. much for me. Now, that's not well, to crap all over the movie. I mean, I still enjoyed it. This was a no. cool fight. It just got to be like too much, really. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because at the end they, of this fight, they turned it up to yeah, eleven you, when a ten would have been absolutely exactly. Fine. You would think that at the end of this fight, there wouldn't be an island at all. Like none of these characters exist; they're <laughs> all dead. That's the only way that that fight ends with the way that they animated it. Yeah, they yeah they kept nine from getting the boy by dropping a nuke and killing right. everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, and then it, there's more whiplash because it pretty much just immediately transitions into Hawks finding Tokoyami in that cave-in. Yep. And and I have in my notes that, uh, you know, he's like, a couple of us came along to see if you were still alive. And he says, me and one other. Yeah. <laughs> and Hawks, Hawks carrying All Might is the visual that we all really need. That's that's what I want to see. I don't think he's carrying All Might. Um, I like to think All Might's riding him. Riding yeah. on his back, yeah. Okay, so another note that I had earlier that I forgot to read is that Hawks apparently flies without flapping his wings. Like, earlier on in the movie, when he learns, I think, about that the kids are on Nabu Island, he starts flying off. Not a single wing flap, he's just jet- jetting well, through the air. Well, that's how it was whenever he was fighting the Nomu with Endeavor, too, I think. But I, I want to say I there was a short, yeah. like, second or two where they show each individual feather is actually flapping. Because he oh, controls each okay. individual feather in like on its own, I believe. Yeah. So, well, if that's true, I think Al might absolutely was riding on his yeah, back then. Yeah. Like um, I think his wings well, are like stupid powerful for what they, they're not like Angel in in uh, X Men where they're just X-Men. pretty. Like they're yeah. highly functional because it's not that he has wings; it's that he can control each individual feather. I think. Well, Deku wakes up in All Might's arms, of course, um, and begins asking after Kachan. And All Might's like, "Well, you're always more worried about others than yourself." And Deku explains that he did this crazy thing where he gave uh, the all for or the one for all to Bakugo, and he's feeling terrible because he's like, "You chose me as your successor, successor, but I gave this away." But he's like, "I don't regret." Or All Might says, "I don't regret giving you my power. You used it correctly, and you will always be a part yeah. of it. Your courage." And this is language that suggests All Might, at least, is still under the impression that Midoriya is quirkless. He says, your courage has strengthened it, as if that's his contribution to it. But then, as he's saying this, I think Midoriya maybe passes back out in the one for all. Of course, because it's what he does. He's crying his kid ever. Um, But the one for all begins to creep over his body like he was putting the cowling on again. And this is where this explanation makes no freaking sense, because he just says, All Might says... Well, maybe Bakugo lost consciousness before the transfer finished. And he's like, no, because that explanation absolutely wasn't going to work. No, for me, me either. I was like, bull um, crap. The moment yeah, I was like, no way they're that, doing this. Yeah. Well, then he says, no, that's not it. By risking your life, one for all did something miraculous. Master and all who came before, thank you so much. And this time they do, they show eight. But the problem is, number one, that number's wrong again. <laughs> um, but then. That that makes it seem like one for all is sentient and volitional, and that is strange. Well, to he's me. mentioned before that it is sort of sentient, right? Because he's mentioned that the I feel like he's talked about the other people being some sort of mentor to him, meaning that all for one or sorry, one for all is to some degree sentient. But the idea of it evolving this way, and the idea of like. Bakugo waking up and having basically no memory at all of ever having yep. this. It's just, just like, why? Ugh. Why do it? Why? I yes. mean, the, the, that's the reason I feel like none of this will show up in canon because it's like, why have everybody forget about it all? And, and on, on top of that, why make it like not just transfer over? Why, like, there are so many things here where I'm just like, 
it just reverts every meaning of this movie to me. But regardless of that, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't like the idea of this quirk evolving to like, oh, well, we just lended Bakugo some power. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, you know, the other heroes are on the scene now. There's a funny scene where Endeavor is embracing Todoroki and his fire is just yeah. erupting off of his There are body. also all, uh, Hero like, A and Hero AA were there. I don't know if you noticed that, but like the oh, random intro no, heroes didn't. that were at the beginning of the movie were also here. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. notice that. So they didn't all die. Well, or, not all of them, uh, I mean, just one or yeah, two of them, good I for them, I guess. But, like, <laughs> it just seemed weird. Uh, there's faceless army men. I do have a note of that. I and there's lots of too. nods of accomplishment amongst the students. Um, you know, heroes are congratulating them, and, and there are also the students amongst themselves are getting little nods of, you know, we, we did but this. But I don't understand where they're at, because for everything that we saw between that fight of Bakugo, Midoriya, and Nine, there should be nothing left on that side of the island. Like, <laughs> right. they're on a beach that they should not be on. That place should be wrecked. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, randomly, Nine is on another island across the way. That just seemed weird. Like, there's another whole island that's not quite connected, yep. but he just landed there after Bakugo's hit, and he's still alive. And he wakes up and he like Shigaraki yeah, shows Shigaraki up. comes out of a portal. So I guess Kurogiri is helping him. And yep. then he kills nine. I mean, nine is like, oh, hey, Shigaraki, help me out of this. Like, let's get back to it. We can find my dream. And Shigaraki's like, nope, <laughs> it just shatters him. Or just. Yeah. He said Shigaraki says, I'll take over your dream from here. There can only be one true ruler. Yeah. Yes. Only one. And then he says night night and then uh, disintegrates him. And then we get the wrap up to all this, which is. Uh, Bakugo's screaming what the hell happened to me because his arm's all jacked up and he doesn't remember the transfer. Um, they find out they were able to protect everybody on the island. Uh, shocker, the higher-ups finally decided to suspend the practical program because it was probably not the smartest thing to do in the first place, but the Class 1A decides to stay behind and help rebuild the island anyway, which is I think was a pretty nice touch sure. there. The kids are united with um, their father. Uh, it's unclear if he got his quirk back or not. I would have assumed that with Nine dying, maybe the quirk like transferred back over to him somehow, but I guess not. Yeah, th- yeah. There's not a whole bunch of explanation there. Uh, they're on a boat, getting one A's back on a boat, getting ready to go to the mainland, and Bakugo's just like, "Good riddance, you know. We're finally out of this place." And then Midoriya apparently didn't talk to the kids and somebody asks him about that. And he says, Oh, I'm sure they already know how I feel, which is, which felt like a weird assumption for yeah, Midoriya. Totally right? out of character for Midoriya. He's always the one yeah. that's like, no, we should go say goodbye to literally everybody. Like, I feel like that was even a big deal whenever they were in the summer camp and they were leaving. He wanted to make sure he said bye mm-hmm. to the kid there. So it seems weird that he would go out of his way to the point of like giving away the quirk he always wanted to save these kids' lives and then didn't say goodbye to them. But hey, maybe right. he was like, eh, Bakugo doesn't remember. Neither does anyone else. It doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah, well, the the two kids are running down the pier and they're shouting back up at Bakugo and Midoriya. And um, Katsuma says that he'll get stronger to protect Daddy and Maharo. And then he says, and I'll be a cool hero like you and Bakugo, which I thought was yeah. pretty cool. Um, and then Midoriya says... You can be a hero. And I have in my notes, dude, that's what he was just telling you. (laughs) (laughs) Like he wasn't paying attention at all. Like, I don't know what happened. He got hit really hard by nine. That's what it was. He's still recovering. He's got a concussion or something. He's just really loopy. Yeah. 
All right, so, I mean, that's that's the end of the movie. So let me get your final kind of impression, any kind of final notes that you have for the movie as a whole that we that maybe you felt like we didn't uh, cover. Uh, as a whole, I, I think that we covered it all really well. You know, there were a lot of little things I didn't like uh, about the movie in regards to the villain seems sort of not pointless, but like backgroundless. Like they're all just bad guys that just show up randomly and they don't really tell any kind of story on putting that group together, which isn't necessary, but a little bit of information on how they fit into the world would have been kind of nice. I mean, Chimera seemed like he was a pretty big villain to have just randomly shown up and us to have never heard of him before, like ever, especially at the, the level of decimation he was able to provide uh i don't really like that they pretty much just cloned all for one and just throw him in this movie randomly and then reverted every single amount of change that he caused like he caused a lot like i guess i feel like they invoked a lot of emotion with the whole giving over one for all and and transferring it to bakugo and making it seem like it was deku's last fight for them to just erase all of that and be like oh well here's a cool little side note and i don't see how they'll bring this back up ever in the show and and so it just feels kind of empty to me like nothing really changed they got a cool summer experience and that's about it yeah i mean i do think like i said that the the experiment thing is gonna stick that that i my suspicion is that they i think you're right it started with the nomus they moved on to a more refined human trial successful experiment with nine to prove that they can do it so with more data collected, um, they are going to, I think they're leading up to giving Shigaraki that. I think so too, um, that but power. I don't think they're going to, in the TV show, I don't think that Shigaraki's ever going to be like, oh yeah, we had a guy named Nine that totally tested this because otherwise they would have filled in the League of Villains on what was going on. They wouldn't have just been excluded from everything. Hmm. Well, my final notes are, there's not near enough Aizawa True. in it. Um, so that's a bummer. Most anime movies don't uh, even really pretend to fit into canon, but I th- still think both of the Mahiro movies did. I just really dislike how they got it to stay in this one by doing that t- trope that I really dislike, where it's just like, haha, JK, everything's like it was at the beginning. Yeah. Um, with the, oh, Bakugo conveniently forgot, or, or, or the quirk itself, um, <laughs> that one for all has, uh, intentionally stripped the memory from Bakugo is kind of how it felt like it was being explained. Cause I remember this movie blew my mind when I thought the transfer was right. going to stick. That's like a huge and thing when they, for them to just rip it away. Yes. It just feels like it's meaningless because it didn't. I felt like the movie really did not stick the yeah. landing. Um, the, the action was excellent. Even if it got a little hard to follow during the climax, um, you can tell big things are happening during that last scene, even if you can't say exactly what all it is, um, all the battle sequences before that were Absolutely. excellent. Um, the, there was less humor than I expected. Uh, a couple of minor attempts with Mineta stick out. Mineta wasn't nearly as pervy um, as he normally is. No, I mean, there was that. Yeah. Just a couple. Yeah. It just wasn't as funny as I had maybe hoped that it might be. I did really like the setup though. Um, of the students on the island, the way that they uh, set all that the the movie up felt really. It was good really to cohesive. Um, it made a I, lot of sense. I like yeah. that a lot. I also wonder if they're going to use that to lean into what they're wanting to do with those team uh, team assignment books that they're coming out with. Like 
maybe the, the platform for those is, well, we tried letting them do this on their own, but we think they need a little bit more training with pro heroes. Therefore, let's do that. Um, so m- maybe that's what's going on there. I'm not 100% sure. It's almost as if they said, well, they're ready and all, but maybe we should supervise them for just a tad bit longer before we throw them to the dogs without a safety yeah. net. Um, and then look over at Hound Dog and say, no offense, <laughs> Hound Dog. Um, so I'm, I'm curious because this is something I, I had have been thinking about over the last week since I've watched this movie multiple times. It does not feel like Deku to keep a secret from Bakugo that he had one for all at some point in time. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like Bakugo, well, I guess I feel like Deku is the kind of guy that would fanboy out about having shared that with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, uh, I don't, offhand or out of hand disagree with you um but we also haven't seen a whole lot after this so i'm curious to see if that ever does come back up i wonder if he got i think it might be a little too early to say that it'll never happen yeah yeah, that's i guess the reason i'm saying i feel like it'll never happen is it it reminds me a lot of the arm piece that deku wore in the first movie that miraculously didn't exist in the tv show and you know the uh what's her name hatsume ended up creating it for him Oh no, that was uh Shields. Um the little the the Shields daughter, David right. Shields. Yeah, she daughter. made it for him in the movie, Melissa? but then in the TV show it ended yeah. up being something that Hatsume made later on. And yeah, it was she, Yeah, she made like a better right, version. Right. Of it. So it was just kind of one of those things like I'm just wondering if they'll do something in the TV show to kind of do something along the lines of this, you know, to reinforce it cuz the other thing you have to keep in mind is not everyone's going to watch the movie. So you've got to retell the story to some extent in the TV show, I would imagine. Um, so, but my other thought is, do you think Bakugo increased one for all? Like he technically had it for a little bit. Do you think it carried? I mean, if it took the memory from him, maybe it there's some residual Bakugo inside of Midoriya now. Yeah, maybe. The other thing I was just thinking, based on what you were saying, is with with all of this stuff that the that the cork itself is apparently able to do by its own choice and power. Do we know for sure that at the end of this movie, once Deku passes back out, that his memory isn't also erased by we the We don't, quirk? but that doesn't mean it erased All Might's too. I mean, someone is aware of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funky. Man, they they really boned this movie with that, with, with doing that, with the, with the quirk transfer. And like you said, that is a hugely emotional thing to people who are invested in this show. And then at the end to just be like, move along, nothing to see here, nothing yeah. happened. Um, that was frustrating. I mean, I remember watching it in the theater and uh, with my buddy Heaton. And when he was like, so what did you think? I was like, I don't know. I'm so mad about how the thing ended up that everything that preceded it is in question now. And that's why I said that on subsequent viewings, I wanted to see if that would hold up, you know, and it's frustrating. I mean, it it feels like, like a kind of a cheap ploy mm-hmm. almost. It's, you know, I, um, I, I'll tell you when we watched it earlier today, cause I watched it for the third time today. When we hit that last fight scene with Bakugo Midoriya at nine, I pretty much just tuned out. Like the rest of the movie after yeah. that is just okay to me. The movie before that is like a solid seven out of 10, eight out of 10. Like it's a lot of fun. So much cool stuff happens. The fights are great. The animation's great. The cooperation's great. There's so much to it. And then this last bit, it just kind of devolves and makes it feel pointless to me. Like, will they even yep. remember Nine and how they fought him? I mean, it almost seems like maybe those memories could slowly fade away. Like, surely they can't forget the whole thing, but 
it just seems weird that they would forget how they took down this villain that literally was wrecking face. Yeah, well, and I think even if, like you had mentioned just a second ago, even if Bakugo Midoriya, for some plot stupid reason, uh, forget, which I don't think is likely to be true, you still have all of the rest of Class 1A who weren't concussed. Right. You know, <laughs> well, it was pretty convenient. Um, you know, who would still remember most all these of guys. them were knocked out whenever one for all was transferred over. So even if even if they had woken up a little bit, you know, with the the amount of like insaneness happening, there's no way they know exactly what happened. But surely some of them would have seen Bakugo and been like, "That's not how he normally looks." Yeah, I mean the ones that yeah, because they look totally mess. different, it's... and we've never seen full cowling look like that on Midoriya. And I mean they're straight up yeah. like like God Super Saiyans, like their hair is straight up. They've got like electricity flowing through them. It's it they don't even look the same. Yeah, it's it's wild, man. It's I I, I don't dislike the movie. No, wholly. but I dislike that what they did. There's it. yeah, it's just the last ten minutes yep. of that movie, like. Do not work for me um, because they worked so hard to make the movie in canon. That's what I think is. Fr- if you if you treated this like some of the older um, Dragon Ball Z OVAs, um, you know, the movies where they're like, hey, here's this cool thing that's super awesome to watch. But it does. It takes place outside of canon, has nothing to do with the actual, you know, goings on yeah. of the show. Then you can watch something like this and be like, man, that was kind of dope. Because then you wouldn't have to do the weird erasure of everything that, you know, the, the 10 minutes prior now, at the end. I will say, and I just had this thought, if in season five we get these scenes of Bakugo like having flashbacks to this fight or having these like weird dreams of past people, like the all for one, uh, you know, like maybe, or one for all uh, inheritance people, like the people that Deku sometimes sees. Like if he has flashbacks of that or something, that would be kind of cool of, of like him seeing these people and having these ideas that there's some power that he at one point had and doesn't have anymore and having to try to figure that out. And like, I could see them using that to increase his relationship with Deku. He'd have to get to know like, hey, I'm having these problems. Do you know anything about this? But I just don't see them doing something like that in the show. It seems like it would be such an afterthought, you know? Yeah, I mean, this the movie was a vehicle for for saying, hey, uh, Shigaraki doesn't just magically get uh, right. Everything else you kind of have to, Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. That was those are my thoughts, man. I I had a blast watching it. I had an absolute blast recapping it oh, with yeah. you and and sharing uh sharing some some insightful quirks and and oddities to some of the goings on and man, I can't wait for the next one even though we you know, we we came down on the movie at the end. It's still definitely worth a watch if you're a fan of the show. It's it's excellent. It's I mean, it's the only animated uh, my hero proper stuff that we're going to get until sometime in the spring of next year. So why wouldn't you uh, dive headfirst into it? But uh, yeah, I, it's, they did that weird anime thing at the end and uh, it, it really, it really did cripple the movie quite a bit in, in my uh, estimation. I think of so it. too. And, and I mean, it's like you said, go watch the movie. It's awesome. It's a great movie. Even knowing that at the end things kind of get weird, it's still an awesome movie. It's just, mm-hmm. I feel like they didn't have to do that and it would have been fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have to make it to where they gave over the power that the whole show revolves around and effectively completely rewrote the show for all of seven minutes. It it was unnecessary. They didn't have to go that far, but they did. So, well, the other thing that's wild is 
you had two people with one for all um, up against one person who had eight quirks and they got bodied for a while. True. Um, uh, well, they, they got bodied and then they got the one for all and then they did fine. Um, but one person with the one for all at what uh, he, he did do, he did 100% smash Deku did before um, he gave over one for all. And was not able to do a ton to uh, to nine. So imagine when they do in, uh, enhance Shigaraki with this, and you're back down to just one, how difficult that fight is going to be. That's true. That's going to be nuts. I mean, there, there will be pro heroes on the scene, I assume. I, I assume they're not going to go off to Nabu Island again. It's going to take place on the mainland, and they'll they'll have who knows what all uh, pro heroes in that scrap. But if, if there's nothing else that the movie does besides say, Hey, we've, we've done these experiments. That's why this will make sense later on. Um, we've, we've done our due diligence. Um, the other thing that it might do is, is give you a sense of foreboding of like, okay, so if that's the end of these experiments and this is the fallout of the incomplete version of this, then that fight right there is going to be nuts. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, uh, I, I get the feeling so, though that if that's the case, like maybe end of season five, Shigaraki starts to get the powers. I don't see him getting them in season five. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know where they're at in the manga. We like, uh, you know, we're we're not reading ahead or anything, but uh, I'm still here for it. I mean, the show still super excited oh, man, about I season five. Um, yeah. So in the movie, like I said, if it does nothing else but get me more excited for things that I anticipate are coming down the line based on what we learned in this one i'm i'm for it that 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 makes it a good enough movie for me yep i'm I'm right there with you i enjoyed it uh i am looking forward to watching it with you in fact we're gonna do like a watch along on discord uh so if you didn't get to see the movie and you're interested maybe you've listened to the episode but you still want to hang out watch it with us we're trying to figure out what night would be the best to do it we've considered doing it like on a tuesday night which is when we normally record but we figure tuesday nights are probably you know not super available for most folks out there uh, so we were thinking maybe about doing like a Friday night or Saturday night, but that means it'll be later in December sometime. So, you know, we're trying to figure out the best way to do it. We think the easiest way is going to be to hop in Discord and everyone just kind of hang out in the voice channel. And, and one of us will basically share a stream and that should make us all on the same page from what we've read. Uh, but let us know what night works best for you. Would you guys rather see it on a Friday night, Saturday night, or you want to join us on a Tuesday night? Tweet at us. Let us know. Yep, and uh, we thank you guys for for hanging out with us in this what turned out to be twice as long as normal episode, and uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. And uh, we will be pushing this episode as quickly as we can and returning to our normal schedule as early as uh, this, this coming Absolutely. week. So, and let us know what you think about the movie. I mean, do you feel like the switcheroo at the end was worth it? Do you think that this is going to carry on to the show? I'm interested in hearing your theories. We have so many folks that catch things that we don't catch so you know we always learn a little bit more once we hear from you yep well enjoyed it guys enjoyed it adam and we will uh we'll be sitting down uh together and uh talking about some vigilantes here in the not to do absolutely looking forward to it all right buddy see you guys Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpatio network. 
And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at BackPatioNet or at AlmightyPod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.